Naughty Dog becoming the new Telltale? Game Pass is not competition? Well, hello and welcome to Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast. I am your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me, as always, is Chris, the Nutmegger Figs. Figs, how are you doing tonight? (laughs) (laughs) Do do you Uh, want to say anything about that? No. Uh, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. Chris, today, in the uneventful week between Christmas and New Year, uh, you'll find us talking about the media giving impressions on the upcoming DualSense Edge. Jim Ryan rumoredly not viewing Game Pass as competition, if we are to believe uh, a little leaky leak. And Neil Druckmann stirring up the fan base by saying that their next title would be, quote, structured more like a TV show, end quote. But before we get into that, we will start this show off in the time-honored way of checking in on what we've been doing, what we've been playing, and anything in between that we want to share. And Chris, I want to start with you, but primarily, I want to let you know that I have no clue what nutmegger means. All I did was look up what they call people from Connecticut, and it's a Connecticutter or a nutmegger. I don't know why, but I wanted to put it in there to see if I could throw you for a loop. It's because we are called the nutmeg state. So you're a nutmegger because yeah. you're in the nutmeg state. But as someone from the nutmeg state, I've never heard either of those. Nutmegger nor Connecticutter. Connecticutter sounds yeah. like a Marvel serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I, I don't know why it crossed my mind, but I remember whenever I was young, and that's why that's where the idea came from. Whenever I was young, we had to do in like fourth or fifth grade, a presentation where each kid got a different state and you had to do a, you know, so mine was Utah. And one of the facts, because I was running out of facts, I was like, I need a fact. And I decided to look at what they call people from Utah. They're called Utahns. And I don't know why, but that just has stuck with me because it sounds so crazy. It sounds like vegan croutons. If croutons weren't already <laughs> vegan, I don't know. They probably are, but I don't know because I'm not vegan. So, Chris, yeah, you're in the food industry. Are croutons vegan? I mean, are they vegetarian? Bread. I would probably say vegetarian. Mm. What There's does it take for someone to be vegan? You couldn't have any animal products. So, you couldn't have eggs. You couldn't have uh, butter. Like So, I would imagine croutons have butter in them. And, yeah. yeah, fair enough. Like, I hope I hope someone learns something today. I've known that yeah. vegetarian and vegan were two different things. I just didn't completely understand the the full difference between the two. Yeah, I was watching a documentary on vegans. It was pretty interesting. Where in yeah. order to be vegan, you end up actually killing more things in the world than the animal you would eat. It's pretty interesting. I've heard arguments from people who were talking about to... If you look at what goes into farming and planting Mm -hmm. farms and being able to do it at the rate needed to feed the population that countless small animals and insects get killed. It was Um, like a farmer. You completely decimate general populace or you you decimate the environment by which these animals are supposed to live. And so you 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 dehome them, I guess. And then the ones that try to come back get killed by machinery and poisons. Yep. And then he was saying he kills all the like 
bugs, uh, but crows and stuff, all the animals that come to feed, he just murders them all. So it's interesting. Yeah. Just eat what tastes good, dog. I've been watching The Good Place with my wife. And yeah. I mean, I've never, I, I came in really late, but one of the things that they were talking about is how for every decision that you make uh, as a human, that there's like 15 other small decisions that you could have not accounted for that you've now taken part in by choosing the one thing. And so by being mm-hmm. a vegan and thinking that you're doing something better, you're arguably creating a bunch of other problems. Right. You save the cow and kill a bunch of muskrats. Yeah, the life of one cow. It's, it's like the trolley problem all over again. Do you save one life <laughs> or multiple, you know? Uh, yeah. But Chris, what have you been up to Brett. other than being an incredibly sick man? Uh, and what have you been playing? And anything else you'd like to talk about? Well, I spent a lot of my week playing Marvel Midnight Suns and Marvel Snap. It's been a marvelous week. <laughs> um, but I also spent about nine hours of my week watching the movie RRR and highly recommend for anyone out there, including uh, the guests on last week's show who I've been telling to watch this movie. It's a, it's a, I highly recommend it. Five stars changed my life. Go watch it. Now, when you're talking about last week's show, are you talking about the ghost of Blake Popes who joined us to talk at length about the Callisto protocol and our return to the spoiler chats and our return to the spoiler chats. Yeah. We were imprisoned by that game for about eight hours, and then we got out of jail, and now we're talking about it. (laughs) If you haven't listened to that and you've been curious about our thoughts on uh, the Callisto Protocol, feel free to go over and listen to that. Of course, we warn you that we do talk about it in full spoiler, at least in any time that we think a spoiler is important to the discussion that we had. Um, So I think we did... I think it was fun. It was us mm-hmm. trying something a little different with spoiler chat. So I hope everyone who listened enjoyed it. And if you want to hear more of that, please let us know. Uh, we, of course, don't want to be putting content out into a void, but I can say that this episode had done pretty well. So either a lot of you played Callisto and were curious, or a lot of you <laughs> didn't play Callisto and were still curious. And we're curious. Uh, either way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we yes. appreciate everyone who did listen. Uh, with that in mind, Chris, are you telling me you literally played just a bunch of Marvel stuff and then basically watched an Indian Marvel stuff. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yep. I guess really you watched an Indian. What is that other show where it's people that, that aren't actually heroes? The 1999 Ben Stiller uh, romp mystery man Ooh. with uh, the shoveler. Ben Stiller is Mr. Furious. Oh. You know, Janine Garofalo. Oh yeah, big big yeah. big star. That Greg Kinnear's in it. So I mean, you know, it's this is a real star-led <laughs> movie. I don't remember. I don't think it did well, <laughs> but it's one of those childhood movies that I just adore. It's got the dude who plays um, Barbosa in it, and his name in that is Casanova Frankenstein. And he's got it's a good name. Long fingernails they can cut people with. Very interesting guy. It's a very interesting. Very good movie. name. So, uh, but it? yeah, they're they're superheroes that don't actually have any powers for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> really, none yeah. of them do, but they're <laughs> fighting crime. Perfect. Sounds like a perfect film. But okay, Chris, in a superhero fueled week for you, yeah, uh, I do spot one thing in our little thing that you played a little bit of a uh, Modern Warfare Two. 
I did play some Modern Warfare too. Yeah, that's a fair point. It's it's one of those things that I kind of just am always playing. Is it your new off Apex? And on. Yeah, you know, interesting thing. I've grown as a person, and I deleted Apex just yesterday. You deleted Apex? Yep, I don't even have it installed anymore. What does Sean think? Um, well, we haven't played Apex in weeks, so probably not much. <laughs> but all um, right, man, really interesting to learn that I was the glue for that. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> The glue leaves and the group falls apart. You know what I mean? You're not far off. But yeah, I, it's funny because it's a typical me thing. But I was playing Witcher 3, and I'm playing it on Death March because I'm an idiot. And, As um, you do. Of course. And I was like, I want to play Cyberpunk. So I didn't have enough space for Cyberpunk. Deleted Apex, and then deleted Cyberpunk. So... <laughs> so you deleted Apex to download Cyberpunk just to delete Cyberpunk again? Yeah. Because I started playing Cyberpunk again, and I was like, actually, I don't want to play this. So maybe Apex will come back. I don't know. Your mind works in very interesting ways, Chris. Yeah, I know. It's nuts. I don't know if I would call, like, I don't know if you need impulse control or or what. Because I think it's it's two sides of the same problem. You need to do control your impulse to download and install Cyberpunk. But then I think maybe you also needed to control your impulse to immediately delete it. <laughs> probably the second one well because it was more like okay. i turned it on and i'm like oh these guns aren't doing aren't don't feel very good because i wasn't I, when i first played it i did it all melee and um oh, i only had guns okay. and i was like uh eh, this isn't very fun i was headshotting people and they weren't dying and i was like i don't know i'm good i'm actually fine i've done this before oh, man you bring up a pretty it's something I've thought about a lot in RPG shooters and it's why RPG shooters are such a hard thing to pull off because you like the idea of having a gun in an RPG because it sounds like it'd be fun. Right. But for some reason it, it feels like it's easier to suspend disbelief that you cut somebody and their head didn't come off despite the fact that your blade clearly crossed where their neck is, but it's way harder to believe that you shot someone in their head and they're still just shooting at you like nothing happened because yeah. you haven't gotten through their health sponge yet. Exactly. And like they always try and make it a little bit better. Like, oh, well, you'll do crit damage to the head. And that is better. But it's like, why not have every enemy have a helmet so I can at least believe that there's some reason that this is not happening? Because otherwise right. you're creating a huge disconnect where you want this first-person shooter action, but everyone who's ever played a first-person shooter expects headshots. Hell, if you've played a third-person shooter, you expect headshot mechanics. Unless no, you're playing true. like The Division. Because that was one of the things that made me hate The Division 2. The Division 1 had it as well, but just bullet sponges. And right. it kind of works with space aliens and Destiny because there's no point of comparison because I've never been to space magic. I've never done any of that. <laughs> I, and while I may have, I've been a human. So I can tell you exactly how a human who gets shot in the head reacts or a human who gets yes. shot by 900 bullets reacts. <laughs> and it's not to continue shooting you. No. Just throwing that, that out. That is there. definitely true. All right. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting game. All right. Well, I guess I'll catch you on the Modern Warfare 2 if I ever decide to download it. Probably not <laughs> going to be anytime soon. I hate to tell you. Uh, all right. Well, I played Need for Speed Unbound a little bit more. Yeah. 
I don't know how many hours I have in my belt at this particular point in time. It's over 10 or around 10 at the very least. And the first few hours have been very odd because it's been me struggling with the handling or the, I guess, yeah, the handling um, model for the game and not feeling like it's so close. It's a need for speed title. Uh And that means in a lot of ways, it's a lot closer to need for speed heat than like Gran Turismo 7 for me. Right. The problem with that is I also played Gran Turismo 7 this week with my brother and on controller, which was very weird. I've played that game so much on the (laughs) wheel that playing on controller just feels wrong. I eventually, after about three laps, got to where I was hitting everything pretty right, hitting the apexes right, but it took a little bit and it felt wrong. (laughs) But (laughs) I think the problem is I got back into Need for Speed Unbound and it didn't feel close enough to the touchstone of Need for Speed Heat, which I think that game handles phenomenally for a arcade racer. But Unbound just didn't feel as responsive to me. And I've been fighting that and trying to understand, is it just truly that I don't like the model for handling? Or is it that I'm needing to adjust? And so like, I want to like the game so I keep playing it. And I am hooked to the sense where, if nothing else, I like enough aspects of the game that I keep going back to it to try and come to grips with this model, the handling model. And today, I think I kind of had that breakthrough because I went, you can live tune your handling from the start menu. Uh-huh. And I decided to pull it a little more towards drift, specifically for a drift event. Uh, and then I thought, you know what? I'm going to make it a little more drift even when I'm out in just normal driving. And I think I found the perfect blend for me. I still think I prefer the way heat felt, at least right now, but I'm working my way towards finding this one. This game's fun. Um, Thinking back, and of course my comparison point is going to be heat. One thing I thought heat did that was really cool is separated your currency to where during the day you were racing for money, but during night you were racing for rep. And so like as you gained heat and different things, you'd get rep, which increased your rank basically. Um, they, they kind of do away with that in this, and there's still the day and night, but both of them are just money-oriented. Mm-hmm. And that kind of feels like there's no real reason for them to be distinct. Sure. So, because like the, the idea for Heat is that like the city supported the races during the daytime. So when you're racing during the daytime, it's like city-sponsored events, and you can go in and and race and make money. But then at nighttime, you're doing it all illegally. And so that's why you got rep instead of focusing on money. And this game just feels like there's a night and day cycle that it tries to stylize and show that you have to go to the garage to move to the nighttime. But I feel like there's less of a reason to do it. Um, But I absolutely adore the style of the game visually. It's it's amazing. I still think I personally would have really loved for them to go whole hog and just do the entire game animated. Yeah, yeah. But I just don't think that that will ever happen. It's the same reason we talked about Sony, even though they pioneered the Spider-Verse look, people in games want photorealism or a stylized version of photorealism. No one wants it to actually look real because it gets a little boring, but you want it to look close to real with enough style to where you can identify the game. Yeah, And that's unfortunate. Because I think Need for Speed Unbound would look even crazier. I can be far more notable 
looking at it and going, holy shit, this entire game dedicates to this look and feel. And instead, you kind of have this weird thing where you have like a photorealistic world, but then you have like these completely cel-shaded looking characters moving around it. And you're like, ah, this is odd. It kind of <laughs> works on the car because it's it's like outlines and things that are, uh, I guess, what are they doing? They're complementing a realistic car. And instead of the humans in the game, the, the people looking like real people with cartoonish uh, compliments to them, they're just fully cel-shaded and cartoony. And it's just <laughs> kind of like, what? What were you going for? Maybe maybe the car needs to be completely cartoony in a, in a realistic world to help these two things mesh together. Because like the camera will swoop through and you'll see like a hyper-detailed, realistic-looking paint texture and then it'll come up and you'll see a reflection in the window and then it'll pull the camera up and then there goes you just a cell shaded ass character sitting in the car and you're like ah hmm it doesn't quite work (laughs) like it's unique but yeah it's definitely a word for it yeah i like the juxtaposition but i just wish that they had to dedicate a little further maybe one day someone will come out and do it but i think as you can learn um the fact that this game even took this big of a chance while being a you know, a very high-profile, long-running, big-budget game from EA is probably enough. It's better than nothing. Yeah, kind of like a pick your pick your fight. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I still think that it's cool that they got to do a lot of this. Oh man, people have been talking about Forspoken though, right? I, I gotta uh-huh. say this: people okay. talk about Forspoken and the dialogue and all these different things, and. It kind of makes me think of music. So, Chris, clearly, I think that me and you can both confide in the fact I've said it on the show a million times. This is nothing. One of my Christmas presents from my wife this year was she went to a flea market and found a CD copy in the original case of uh, Kelly Clarkson's Breakaway album, which I adore. It's a great album. Good album. Yeah, of course. And so on the way to one of our Christmas parties, we're in the truck with my me, my daughter, and my wife, and we're all just singing because my daughter had never heard, but she's learning all this <laughs> Kelly Clarkson. She's like, I like this girl. She's got a cool voice. We're just singing to Kelly Clarkson and these super melodramatic and kind of cheesy lyrics when you think about them separate from the song. So yeah. like one of my things I tell people all the time is most good music is actually cheesy. If you really think about it and you listen to it and you try to focus on it it's cheesy as hell but you like it true. when you're in the context of the song and you're thinking about it that's super true in games too games are cringy far more often than they are not but i think people like the game and therefore they allow the cringiness and then so when someone talks about forespoken which i will admit does push that boundary a lot more i have heard some of the most asinine shit in this game need for speed unbound and it's super cringy. And the voice actor for the for the guy that I'm playing as does not sound like he fits this hip hop world. And ASAP Rocky was like, "Yeah, you did it. I had you under my bed." And I'm like, "Dude, you sound so stilted and fucking weird. And you're supposed to be an icon of this culture, and you can't even <laughs> fucking phone it in, right?" <laughs> yeah, but that's the question with Need for Speed: is the writing cringe? Because I think the writing in Forspoken is cringe. Oh, 100% the writing's cringe. And you know right. what? It's it's the same problem, but in, in, in different... It's the same problem manifested in slightly different ways. It's trying to be hip with younger culture, with people who are clearly not actually in that culture age. 
in that culture range. You know what I mean? It'd be like me trying to write a story including Instagram and TikTok and all this shit because I don't use them and I don't even know how to use them or what you're supposed to do with them. <laughs> Fair. So it's like I, it's like they went to a Wikipedia page for Instagram and were like, what is Instagram? And they're like, okay, cool. And then they, <laughs> they just wrote down <laughs> notes and they make your character say shit like, as you're talking to this old guy, you're having to describe what Instagram is to him. And uh, there's a movie... Uh, the first cloudy with a chance of meatballs. And it's actually, it's, it's the same dynamic done a lot better uh, where Flint is talking to his father and he's needing his father to do something on his computer to basically save the world. And his father is a fisherman who's never learned computers at all. And the entire back and forth between them is just him trying to like explain to him what to do. But it goes so far that it loops back around to being funny. Instead, this is like, <laughs> You don't know what Instagram is? And it's it just sounds so forced. It doesn't it's like it's trying to be funny, but the the joke is not some minutia between that. The joke is literally just that the guy doesn't know. And that's not actually funny. No. It's gotta be funny. the mechanisms for it. So but you're right. Writing is often cringe in video games, which I guess we'll kind of talk about when we get to uh, the Naughty Dog news. Maybe there's some benefit there that we're not aware of. Maybe not. Yeah. Uh, but two more games to quickly get out of the way. Nobody saves the world. I still like it. Still good. Still not the drink ma- drink box magic. And I think I figured out why the game's too big. It has, okay. it, does, it tries to do too many things. So focus. the scope is too big, and that means that it kind of reminds me of Infamous Second Son, where you have Infamous Two, and since it was focused on one set of powers, and then that secondary complementary power that you get late in the game it feels more fleshed out this game you have all these different forms there's like 15 different forms but there's really only like four moves per form and now you can mix those together and create new forms and find interesting combinations but it doesn't feel like any of them are specifically mastered because they wanted you to do this which is cool but then that leads to the second problem. The only way that you level in the game is that you have to use every form and continuously rank them up, which means you have to play a form you may not even like in order to hit the level to actually clear the dungeon, which means that the game is a grind fest. I've been playing this game for like 20 hours mm-hmm. and I don't feel like I've done much of shit. <laughs> I still That's think it's fair. worth playing and I'm still glad I'm playing it. One day I'll the download quarry. it. And hopefully not. Yeah. it. I did download that. So appreciate that one. I saw. Uh, so I got to chapter three and I don't know why, but I feel like I've spent like two or so hours in the game. Yeah. And because this is trying to be like a movie, right? To a degree, it's supposed to, it's trying to be interactive and play off of those movie things. I feel like about 30 minutes into a movie, you tend to already have the setup out of the way and you've started to introduce some of the conflict. This game, I'm three chapters in, probably two hours in, and this trying to be a little bit bigger means that they stretch the onboarding section out to where I don't really... Like, the game's hinting at things, but nothing has actually happened. Like, I'm seeing little, oh, look, there's a guy rubbing blood on his face. Oh, <laughs> But none of my characters are seeing that, so there's really no tension, you know? Yes. I agree. Go back to Callisto Protocol. (laughs) Yeah. You know, um, earlier, 
when I was playing Need for Speed Unbound, when you get to heat level four, there uh-huh. becomes uh, there becomes undercover cars that don't show up on your map in the right bottom left corner as part of the police scanner. So you can't tell when they're around. So you can be at high heat, which four is, and you can get spotted even though you're trying your best to not get spotted. And that means as I was driving and trying to get back to the garage without getting caught, I had I felt more tension in Need for Speed Unbound trying to hide from unmarked cars than <sighs> I did in the entirety of the Callisto Protocol and so far the Quarry. And that's a weird statement. Yeah, but I can see it because that's scarier than, oh, there's two enemies in this long hallway again and again. Oh, there's four now. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, like Rude Cold said, the idea of something chasing you creates tension in a way that other things don't. And I, I guess that's what it is. This, this unmarked car is essentially something I can't predict that could show up at any moment and completely turn my shit around. Yeah, that's very Tension true. 101, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Hit us up, Glitch Gofield. We'll help... <laughs> Well, make Callisto too. Ooh, seriously, people are going to not me. like that comment. <laughs> I have a couple ideas. I don't care. You don't have to like it. I'll be a page show. All right, this time McDonald's gets mad at the Uber driver. <laughs> that would have actually been so much better if the actual story was that while he was in, while he was traveling, they had blamed him for everything. I mean, that would have actually- been. Way better. All right, Chris. I've already got my Gran Turismo 7 out of the way. So that brings us into a fun couple of questions that didn't really fit anywhere else, but I thought they were a good way to kind of be front-loaded towards the show. Velvet Thunder, one of our patrons, asked, I couldn't think of a thought-provoking question. So what's your favorite Pokemon? Oof. Um, That sounds like a fucking trap, doesn't it? It does. You know how hard it is to choose the favorite out of like a 800, 1,000, whatever fucking Pokemon there are now? No, see, you're missing the fact that my favorite Pokemon, for some reason, has become a weird sex thing. So oh, now no. I don't ever want to tell people that my favorite Pokemon is Vaporeon because for oh, some no. reason everyone thinks I want to fuck Vaporeon because in one of the games she could learn a fire ground water and grass move which is why she's my favorite cuz she dominated in that game <laughs> my condolences i was yeah, wondering who once you said sexual there's about 10 pokemon <laughs> really <laughs> all pokemon but there's about yeah. 10 that really caught on mm-hmm. you know vaporeon's like number 1 I know you weren't big on Kingdom Hearts, but it really is crazy of how fans create sexualized things that you would never have expected. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the odd sexual things from Kingdom Hearts is Axel and Roxas uh-huh. because they have like a, a friendship when they're supposed to not have hearts or emotions. And that's the play on the story. But apparently people watching that took that as, oh, they stroke each other off <laughs> and pose in uh, odd naked things. Uh, the internet can be a well, wildly it's like, unpredictable it's like place. The people who think that um, Sam and Dean from Supernatural should be together. It's like if you're watching that show and you think that, I don't know if you're paying attention. <laughs> Sam and Dean brothers. Yeah, I know. Yeah, should should be together. Yep. 
They think that's. The, I'm gonna have to consult subtext. my. Uh, oh, okay. Mm. Not that they're not that they have familial connection that is right. the subtext. You no, know, they they shared shared trauma and experience. Right. Exactly. No, it yeah. sucks. I'm gonna have to condole, uh, consult my uh, my resident supernatural fa- fan slash smut reader uh, and s- see what she thinks. Um, she'll <laughs> have a good finger on that pulse. Nice. I don't like that. I don't like that metaphor for this yeah. topic. <laughs> no, I didn't like it either. Anyway, what's your favorite Pokemon, Brett? Mine is, and this probably says a lot about, I guess, age. Even though people tend to Charizard. say that people my age group would be uh, silver and gold, but I was poor, oh. so I didn't play games in the Pokemon series until much later. <laughs> the oh, first gotcha. Pokemon game that I got on launch was uh, Sapphire. Nice. And I adored it, and it was my favorite for a very long time. So my favorite Pokemon is Skarmory. Ooh, very, very simple Weird one, but I, I almost always, I almost always have him on my team. He's great. I'm He's surprised fast. you wouldn't go with Absol from that game, honestly. Absol is also really cool. When I was young, I thought super cool, but something about Skarmory, I was just like this giant fucking metal bird, which should literally not be able to move, is <laughs> <laughs> cool. Neil deGrasse Tyson is having a field day about it. <laughs> well, you see gravity. <laughs> T- technically, the bird would be about 4,000 tons, so wouldn't be able to fly. Well, he would create right, his own Dick. gravitational field, right? You'd think so. I don't know. We'll ask Neil deGrasse Tyson about his own personal gravitational field. Okay, hold Ooh. on. <laughs> How in the fu- I like Neil deGrasse Tyson. Um, yeah, he's, he's I watch Star Talk a lot, actually. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can be obnoxious when you're when you're smart, but you, you know yeah. how people talk about the crazy hot scale for like oh, crazy yeah. girls, right? Mm-hmm. There's the there's the annoying smart scale. How smart are you versus how annoying you are? And you have to be a certain level of smart to be a certain level of annoying without it being an issue. Okay. Yeah, but I think he surpasses it sometimes. Like, why are you ruining Christmas for me right now? I know that Santa can't actually deliver all the gifts. You don't need to tell me that. I didn't need to know that he would have to go to 25,000 houses a second. Shut up. It's Santa. His reindeer has a red nose and he eats cookies all day, dog. That man would have indigestion from all the milk. Eight-year-old right. Chris had Neil deGrasse Tyson like whispering in his ear, like, you know, Santa's not real. It's improbable. Couldn't happen. How do you it's think impossible. I found out that Santa wasn't real? I saw on my Twitter feed that it was impossible. <laughs> <laughs> Two years ago. <laughs> yeah. I just I learned. Be quiet. I got a kid in the house. If I say it too loud, I'll ruin, <laughs> ruin the magic. I ruined Christmas this year in my house. Okay. I cried. Santa's not real. I mean, you broke yes, yes. down and told your whole family. I did. Guys, yeah. listen, there's something you need to know about the physics needed for this to happen. <laughs> Would it surprise you that my parents the magic didn't of the know? elves? <laughs> <laughs> your mom broke down in tears. What? It's like, what happened? Yeah. Rest in peace. Uh, Santa. You know, there's a small part of me that hopes deep down inside that there's somebody who's like 27 listening to this right now who's just now learning for the first time. <laughs> if, if that's you, please write in. We're like literally fucking their world up right now. Yeah. Like they're questioning everyone in their life. 
they're calling up Coca-Cola. So it's been a fucking lie this whole time. <laughs> Does the polar bear even drink Coca-Cola? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, okay. So we have a secondary follow-up question, Chris. Swanland comes in and says, I'll one-up that question. Ooh. What do you think the chances are that Digimon hacked Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, causing all the bugs? Do you think that this is a conspiracy theory of the Digimon to become the superior pocket monsters? I mean, they can certainly try. For saying, what do you think the chances are? I'm going to say one in 14 million. Oh, okay. Not a high chance. Yeah, not a high chance, but there's always but, a chance. Right, 100%. You know, we talk no, about I, string theory and how that becomes the multiverse theory. Mm -hmm. in, in one reality, Digimon has to be real, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean... Right. Oh, man. Do you believe in the multiverse? I don't know. String you know? theory is super weird, if I'm being honest. Right. Uh, and string theory is one of the things that goes into the multiverse being a possibility. So yeah, it's just there's a lot of implications from the multiverse stuff, you know. Like there's a universe where I'm skinny. There's a universe where I'm Spider-Man. But then you have to think about the fact that if there's a universe where every possibility for me exists, that means that there's also a universe for every possibility for every person, which means there's what? An unknowable number of multiverses. 100 percent yes. That's the, that, that is the that's the theory. Sense. Right? Oh man. That we are in a bubble universe and there are multiple bubble universes around us that we cannot huh. observe because they're in a bubble and they're all equally expanding. But we can't observe them. I don't know. I think that's crazy. But but there is a multiverse where we start talking about the community's take, which was submitted by Derek Porter. That is true, but there's also a multiverse where everyone listening to this liked, subscribed uh, if they're watching on YouTube, right? or if they're listening on a podcast service that has a review system or a rating system, Ooh. they gave us a, a rating and or review. Yeah, That is true. an exciting universe. Right. In that universe... We are the top PlayStation podcast. Colin Mortiarty, eat my underwear. We win. Yeah. <laughs> String theory, baby. All right. Woo! Going back to that other multiverse uh, where we're going to be talking about the community's take, we're merging with that one. And now the bubble has ruptured because they've come together. Um, and there's crazy implications for that. But Derek Porter says, in a year full of highly anticipated games, let's look at the inverse. What were your top five disappointments of 2022 in gaming i.e games that did not live up to the hype delays for games you were looking forward to anything in gaming news you may remember on the last official episode 288 chris and i answered this question and we thought it would be a really fun one to give out to you guys so this is clearly a long question since we're asking people for five so we're only going to grab a few if yours not read i promise i did read it just can't say them all on air we're going to start with rude cold one of our patrons Sean, I hope you're doing well. You know what I'm talking about, but I hope you and your family are doing well. Uh, he says, game I was most disappointed with was Lego Star Wars. Probably more my fault as I had never played a Lego game, but I found it extremely dull. 
I've also never played a Lego game. <laughs> they're, they're fun. I like some of them. I've played Phineas and Ferb across the second dimension, which in my mind feels like the way I view Lego games. Okay. And I think it may yeah. have even been made by Traveler's Tale. <laughs> now I've got to know. Also, Phineas and Ferb's awesome. Yeah. Just throwing that out there. All right, let's see who show. developed this. Oh, no, it's High Impact Games. Look at that. Why does that sound Microsoft, familiar? They still exist? Microsoft buy them? Uh, no, defunct as of 2012. Dude. Formed by former members of Insomniac and Naughty Dog. Okay. Wow. That's why. They made all the PSP um styles of games like that. They made Ratchet and Clank Size Matters, Secret Agent Clank, Jack and Baxter, The Lost Frontier, of course, Phineas and Ferb, Across the Second Dimension. They made the Wii version of Modern Warfare 3. Oh, wow. boy. Don't put that on yeah. the resume. <laughs> I mean, it got a 70 on Metacritic, so I mean, that's put it on the honestly resume. higher than I would have ever imagined. <laughs> yeah, that it's almost as good as Callisto Protocol. <laughs> Continuing on, he says, other than that, like others have said, Sony not having a showcase and lack of Xbox first party were pretty big downers. Also, yep. apart from Kirby, I didn't buy another Nintendo game that released this year. Nothing interested me, which is a shame. I even went back to playing Let's Go Pikachu rather than buying Violet or Scarlet. No way I'm buying them when the quality from Game Freak is lacking. That's right. fair. Hey, listen, Sean. I 100% understand. I don't buy very many games for my Switch either. I'm also not a huge fan of all the Nintendo things, so sometimes I wonder why I buy Nintendo products. But then I remember it's because I like JRPGs that come on their systems that are very weird. And I got to tell you, Let's Go Pikachu, sure, I didn't play it, but I know a lot of people like it. Wasn't my style, but do me a favor. I understand your hesitation for Scarlet and Violet for a number of reasons. Do yourself a favor. Do me a favor. Play Pokemon Legends Arceus, then get back to me. If you do not love it, I will reimburse you. That is how Whoa. how much I believe in the ability Whoa. for that game to turn your opinion around. So, you know I'm good for it, Sean. You know I'm good for it. Get back with me after you've... I mean, you, you got other stuff to do, but if you ever get around to it, just remember... That's a Brett Beck guarantee. Um, with that in mind, good list. Uh, Jehudi MD, one of our patrons, longtime patron, longtime listener, Sean as well. Uh, he says, so many games delayed into 2023. Uh, continued reports of developers constrained by older hardware. Chris, Hi. we've talked about that a few times. We have. Now that we're at the end of the year and we've seen some more games come out on Series S and do well and some not do so well. Yes. Have you changed where you're buying how many developers? Like, do you think it's a bigger problem than it was made to be by games media? Or do you think it's still a, a rather isolated problem that the Series S and X, uh, Xbox One, PS4 are really weighing down games to a degree? And I'm kind of adding on Series S because that's a slightly different conversation, but it still comes into the conversation of developers being constrained, at least as far as reports are going. What are your thoughts? I mean... It's probably not as bad as we think it is, but it's definitely happening. Just yeah. God of War having that 
little, oh, we got to go walk this path while I exposit for 20 seconds just so I can load the next area. That's like, obviously, they were held back. Like, that's just plain as day. But is that that big a deal? Maybe for some people, no. You know? So it's degrees, but I don't think that part of God of War exists if they're not making it to run on a PS4. All right, I have a counterpoint there that I, this is a genuine curiosity because I remember when I was playing God of War, thinking about all the times that you have to crawl through things and whatnot. Uh-huh. There's two questions I have about that that are essentially counter answers for it being specifically that it was designed for older hardware, though it certainly didn't hurt um, mm. for those things happening. There's a part okay. of me that wonders, and this happens every generation, just because the ability on a console changes for you to do something does not mean you're going to choose to use it. Sometimes you enjoy that style. And so what ends up happening is that you essentially keep designing that way, even though you no longer need to, because it's what you've established and what you know and you want to work with in it because this is a game following the first game. So the expectation's already there. That's one. Sure. All right. But then the other is pacing because people talk about pacing in games a lot. And I do too. I'm a big fan of games being paced well. And I do feel like one of God of War's uh, issues in Ragnarok, at least for me, was that it occasionally had issues being interesting for how interesting is a weird way. It had a hard time being paced in a way that all elements of the game came together to keep me satiated so like maybe i was interested in the story and the characters but i was completely bored from a gameplay standpoint but it was so strong that i could tell it so even though this great stuff was happening i was kind of in the back of my mind being like i really wish there was great gameplay somewhere sprinkled in enough with this that that was i felt like that was getting satiated but what i really mean by that is and this is partially from remarks from people who worked on the game this idea that the tight squeezes and the expository walkways and the climbing a giant wall are all there to break up the game. And I'm not saying that's wrong. That very well is true. Hey, you've done a lot of combat. We want to not have combat for a bit. We want moment for you to breathe and do something else that's still physically engaging. You're having to hit buttons to climb, Uh but it's not combat. And that's unfortunate because I feel like some games do that really well. And then I feel like some games do it like that where I'm like, ah, but every time you did it for too long, it's like I get the idea of changing it up. But when you do it so long that I notice that that's what you're doing or I notice the the repetitiveness of what I'm doing, you've lost the magic. You've got to do it just long enough to break it up. But then you have to shake it up again with something engaging enough. So, yeah. I mean... Those you'd think those would be reduced because there's definitely a lot of times in God of War where that's less window dressing or that's more of a loading thing. But I mean, I'll put it in terms of a game that I've played, right? That's a game mechanic in the Callisto Protocol. Oh, like there's so many of them that you can't make the excuse that we're just moving you into a different type of combat or a different type of area. In God of War, I think a lot of it that I've seen is more access is more reasonable. But the Callisto protocol, it'll be like you have to crawl under here to get over here and then crawl back and then crawl back. You know what I mean? It, they do it so often that it's it's literally a gameplay mechanic. So 
That I mean, and that's a, th- a situation where, for all I know, that it doesn't change anything on just being PS5 only, but it might, you know? Yeah. And at the very least, they might not have the excuse of, oh, it was last gen, you know, we needed loading times. They might, they don't have that excuse on PS5, I don't think. So, mm. you know, what was crazy is that Callisto being very tight game still had little moments where it loaded on for me on PS5 and that kind of blew my mind in a not in a way that was super strongly negative either because it wasn't a huge deal it's their first game first game on new hardware as far as I know as well but it felt weird to have that happen on PS5 where it's like the screen just went black and had to load for a second and I was like oh uh-huh. that's odd um, <laughs> all right continuing the list he says x big game developers disappointing and I'm assuming that is um Talking about Callisto, if I'm being honest, I don't know if there's another game, but uh, Jehudi, feel free to uh, reach out and clarify if you want to further. Uh, Microsoft's troubled acquisition of Activision Blizzard dominating the news sphere. Amen. (laughs) Advance Wars wanted to reboot camp still with no release date. Uh, And yeah, that's unfortunate. (laughs) That sucks. Going to move through this next one real quick too. Sean Easton, another one of our patrons. Good to hear from you, Sean. We don't always hear from you. I like seeing different faces rotate through here. He says, one, Starfield delay. Two, God of War Ragnarok being mad to me. I can't get myself to finish it. You're not as alone in that as you think. That's why I think uh, this game is clearly... Device is a strong word, but I think it's not as loved as God of War 2018 is in a universal sense. It's definitely not winning IGN's best game of all time. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. And it's, it's so hard to talk about that game without sounding negative. I still enjoyed the game. Uh-huh. Chris uh, clearly enjoyed it, or Chris played it to a point where his enjoyment was no longer meeting the the threshold. I honestly think I'm going to go back, put it on very easy, and then just play through it because I want to see the story. And it's I very hard should. to avoid spoilers at this point. Well, I think you should primarily because I just don't think you should have judged the game by playing it on the hardest difficulty. <laughs> yeah, but to be fair, again, it was not the combat that pissed me off. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't. But I don't think it helped. <laughs> fair. Spending 20 hours on three hours of gameplay, that's slight hyperbole. I understand. Uh-huh. But it does not help anything. <laughs> I'm not that bad at the game. <laughs> I'll double it. Spending six hours on three hours of gameplay. Not ideal. <laughs> Probably a lot closer, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. It says, games continuously being held back by catering to the older generation. Most big titles still insist on making a PS4, Xbox One version. We've covered that. This one is fun. It's He gave one for each of us. Brett, not getting Elden Ring. Uh, Elden Ring. There is everything you love about Souls games and more in there. The castle dungeon levels are amazing. Plus, the open world's layout and design is incredible. So I'll take this opportunity to specifically talk to you on that. I didn't get the game. I mean, clearly I played it and it just couldn't stick with me. My current thought process, Sean, is that you're right. It is everything about the Souls games that I love. And there and more. But that's where the problem is, is the and more. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's 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 almost ineffable, but I'm gonna try and, and describe it. As I've, as I've said before, I don't think that what I like about those games suddenly is okay when you put an open world. 
when I've experienced a lot of open world fatigue this year, and I don't think that that helped. Okay. So I think part of me wanted the enjoyment of that style of game when there are so many open world games in its traditional housing of a very tightly crafted thing. I have long held to the fact that I don't think Elden Ring is a bad game. Definitely not. I've also not played enough of it to even say that if I wanted to, but it was not doing enough to keep me interested. And even as Chris said, to some degree, the game feels a little more aimless by nature of its open and ended expanse. And that's, that's on purpose. It's what people want from open worlds, yeah. but I don't want the open world. <laughs> Therein lies the problem. So, I would ask you, Sean, um, or yeah, to man, there's so many Sean's that listen to this show. I think about that all the time. Um, give me your best pitch on top of this, if possible. Tips, whatever you think that would help ease me back into this in a way that maybe will help shave off some of the open world until I can get enough in hooked into the game that the open world becomes palatable for me again. I don't know. But I'm willing to get sold on it to play it. You know, we got a year coming up with a bunch of games, but I'm not saying no to Elden Ring. Chris, here's your chance. Uh, he says, Chris, openly embracing drawer opening simulators. <laughs> then he says, kidding. Red Dead Redemption 2 is a fantastic game. Uh, I like that one. It's kind of a, it's a trick. It's a twist. It is a, it is a trick. Red Dead 2 is great. Can't wait for the Platinum Challenge to start so that I can Platinum that game and win i dude if you do it i'll be so proud of you it's exactly what i I said about about sekiro yeah sekiro (laughs) yeah so i mean you can't do that there's no way you can do it whoa 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 now i have it's called motivation my guy turning my ps4 or 5 on right now i'm calling out of work (laughs) all right the last one's fun and quick and easy Velvet Thunder patron says Callisto Protocol times five. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That is a deep, deep hurt. I'll oh, accept man. it. I understand that. But you know what? I talked about him being a patron. If you want to join our other bundle of patrons in supporting this show, let me tell you how you can do that. You can head over to patreon.com slash nartech and give as little as a dollar per month. Like I said, it helps directly fund the show, helps cover the cost for Zencaster so Chris and I can do this despite the fact that we're in completely different parts of the country. It helps cover anything we need to buy, be it gear, stock stuff, whatever it is we need to buy to be able to produce the show and get it out. And of course, it helps the show just be out and about because it covers our hosting cost for the show. So for those of you who do it, we appreciate it. We like to think that it means that you appreciate the show. Uh, and like I said, if you want to join those people, easy way to do it of course we love you if all you do is tune in every week and give us your time because time is very valuable so with that out of the way and that said chris i think it's time we move to the news what do you think the news the news uh there's not a whole lot just to throw that out there as we said this is not a huge week but there is some interesting things here 
Uh, so the first one I'm going to go ahead and get out of the way, which is more of a rapid fire news, is that you may notice that PS5 is starting to hit store shelves finally, as Sony have basically said that most of their supply issues have been resolved and it's been hitting store shelves, not only in the US, but in Japan as well. So you may be strolling through the Walmart, through the Target, through the Best Buy, and you may spot yourself out of the corner of your eye, a little PlayStation 5 there. If you're one of the people that did not want to buy it online, Now's your opportunity. Now's your chance. Uh, next piece of news. Despite alluding to the possibility of Gran Turismo 7 gracing keyboards at some point, this wish apparently is for not. As Kazunori Yamauchi expanded on his comments from earlier, he says that the game is currently not in development. Full quote. Quote, that is not true. Regarding a PC version, I replied as a developer, it's not that I haven't considered all the possibilities. That means the possibility is not zero. Simply, if you ask me, are you doing anything concrete? I am not doing anything. There is nothing to talk about. <laughs> so it sounds like the cards still open on the table. But at least as it stands right now, don't expect to see that anytime soon. Um, this one's kind of a mixed bag because, you know, Chris, we've been talking about Sony's further integration into PC launches. And they've clearly pushed even more games out there. We've seen Spider-Man, Spider-Man Miles Morales, God of War. Uh, We've seen Horizon, Days Gone. We've seen uh, the Sackboy's Big Adventure. We're seeing games that are coming up that we know are eventually going to hit PC as well. We have Uncharted hitting PC. Um, So with all that in mind, do you feel like Sony is still trying to commit to having certain series and certain games still be true exclusives as the reason as to why Gran Turismo may not see it? Or do you think it's more of a, we're going, let me pull this back. Do you think that they want true exclusives or do you think that they want it to be at their creator's behest? I feel like the answer for the behest is probably not because they have port studios now, but who knows? What are well, your thoughts? I bet it then depends on the game and the studio right because there's a reason that naughty dog was like yeah sony bend isn't making the last of us part one if anyone's making it it's us and this i'm sure it's the same with polyphony where they're like i'm sorry you want nixus to make a gran turismo game no (laughs) and i don't know if that's a that's you know maybe that's a little disrespectful to those studios certainly the bend one but i i do think there's some bit of like we have the cachet to be like, you're not touching our shit. If anyone's doing it, it's us. You know, I don't know that Bend has that or even fucking Gorilla. Although they, I think they did do Horizon on their own. Is that true? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's correct. But I know. So, you know, it's got to be, you know, I just don't think that Sony is going to let studio like, or not Sony, but I bet there's, powers that be in those studios who can 100% veto something like that and maybe it gets to a point where Sony's like we're putting it on PC make it or don't make it but someone's making it and then they end up doing it or maybe Sony's like fine we respect what you want build it make it eventually I don't know so does that make sense does that line of thinking yeah make sense? no I completely get it and I think one of the interesting things about a game like Gran Turismo 7 as you say it depends on the game is that Gran Turismo is a really long, long history series. And I think most of the people that love it and really start to adore it, it, it's a a series that sees a lot of its love 
outpour to specifically Kazunori. And the reason I bring that up is because he's almost always the one to show off the game. He's almost always the one at the events and doing everything. And the reason that I think that's important is I think people would want him to be involved even with the PC version, at least people who have been fans for a long time. But the disconnect there is if you're going to PC, that's never been a market for Sony. So the people who would look to buy Gran Turismo on PC are probably not people who would care that Kazunori didn't make it with Polyphony themselves. You get what I'm saying? It's kind of like the From Software mm-hmm. uh, Miyazaki thing, where it's like people want to immediately shit on um, Dark Souls 2 because Miyazaki didn't front it. And have you noticed that since Dark Souls 2, they've gone out of their way to say, that Miyazaki's involved in every one of the Souls-like games. The only time <laughs> they finally strayed off of that is specifically with Armored Core, where he says, that's a different team, that's not me. Right. So, yeah, um, it's it's kind of like people don't want... Like Kojima did, as far as I know, Kojima handled the Death Stranding PC port. Yes, I believe that's true. And I think to some degree, you want him to be the one that made it. You don't. I don't think that those type of creators want things out of their hands, and I think that for the most part, it makes sense for Sony or anyone involved in the publishing of these things to go like, okay, yeah, we get it. Well, and, and you also I still don't... think that there's value to having true exclusives. Gran Turismo is a big series; it sold over 90 million copies across the entire history of the series. That's amazing. Does it really hurt to just leave that as an actual PlayStation exclusive? No, I don't think so. But I do think if they want to make it competitive, the best place is probably PC, you know. Well, competitive in which way? Just so I'm understanding. Like competitive like against e-sport. the market or competitive? Okay. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Yeah. It's been an eSport for so fucking long. For, so, right, for but, much longer than a lot of things. So clearly they have that success without it. And I, don't, I think that that ultimately means that they don't have to. Like You know the Gran Turismo movie they're doing coming up is yeah. essentially a story covering... Well, it's a true so, story, hey, right? Here's some, yeah, basically. It's it's based off of multiple people who have done the Gran Turismo Cup and gone through and essentially virtually raced themselves into becoming real racers. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know. I just think PC is a big, uh, big place, big missed opportunity for every game. So, sure. But to, to me, Gran Turismo, like if you're if you're going to put The Last of Us on PC, you might as well put Gran Turismo on PC because there's nothing bigger than Spider-Man, God of War, The Last of Us, and all three of those are going to be on PC. So what are you holding back? God of Is Gran Turismo really a system seller? Okay, you don't have to answer that because I know <laughs> the answer is yes. But yes, yes, it is. Is it? But is it as big a system seller as Spider-Man? Is saying Spider-Man's not going anywhere. That sells more systems to me than Gran Turismo does. Because Spider-Man, as much as we all love it, is a more casual IP and a more casual game. So that to me is like the, the big thing where now... Not me personally, but like some people will look at Spider-Man 2 and be like, that looks sick. It's going to look better on PC, and I know it's coming. You know? So... Well, like, context to your situation, right? Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, just put Gran Turismo on PC if you want to put it there. You know, I think the only reason that it wouldn't go to PC is if Polyphony doesn't want to do it and is unwilling to let someone like Nixus do that. That's, That's really the only way I don't see it coming. 
side thing, and this is something I've been sure. curious about, and I'm not saying it's not, it's not, clearly it's not impossible because God, I mean, um, Call of Duty does this uh, to a degree as well. But there's mm-hmm. other indie games that have done this where when they have different versions across different consoles, they get updated differently. So typically console and PC releases are updated on different schedules. PC tends to be first and then console comes later. But when you're doing something like a um, multiplayer driven title, that is crossplay in that situation. You would definitely want it to be crossplay if you're putting it on PC. I don't know why you wouldn't. Then you create this issue to where you have two developers working on two versions of the game that you want to have the same games as a service content path that you're doing. How does that work if it's not being developed? in-house at polyphony that's where i think maybe there's a reason why they'd want to keep this at polyphony and it makes me wonder if that means that all of their upcoming games as a service games are going to be simultaneous release from the studio because bend also did their own days gone pc version now that's not a, a games as a service game but it goes to show that there are developers working within their own so like is factions let's say factions gets a pc release as well day and date for the Uh sake of saying it at what point does it make more sense for naughty dog to develop both versions just like striking distance had to create the pc ps4 ps or you know what i mean ps4 xbox one xbox series x all the different versions of callisto as one studio would it not make more sense for naughty dog to make factions for both and then update both simultaneously and with the same thing because does it get complicated? And I'm not saying I know the answer, but does it get complicated having two versions of the game developed by two people? I think indie games show that that is true because Terraria gets updated on computer much quicker because it's being done by the actual original developer. The console versions get the same content typically months later. You wouldn't want that in a competitive multiplayer environment. True. I don't know. I In the end, I just think it'll come when they want to make it. As bad an answer as that is. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's not wrong. All right, let's see. Moving on to the next piece of news. PlayStation's January PS Plus games have leaked once again. Uh, and it's a solid month. Jedi Fallen Order, of course, coming directly before Jedi Survivor. Um, Fallout 76, a little surprising. Another Fallout Bethesda game hitting the service. And Axiom Verge 2 should arrive on the service on the 3rd. Now, remember, this is for the essential tier. This is your typical monthly games. This is not the dump that hits the extra and premium tiers. Uh, This is, of course, yet to be confirmed by PlayStation and Sony themselves, but the leaker in this case has yet to be wrong in months and months and months of doing this. So you can look forward to those titles and hopefully you can try out Fallout 76 if you were for some reason holding off. Chris, any of these three games going to do anything for you? Because you've played Jedi and Fallout. Have you played Axiom Verge? Or the I played one. the first one, and I'm very excited for Axiom Verge 2. It's been on my like wish list, like, I might buy that now. And I just keep forgetting, and I saw this, and I'm like, this is the first time ever this has worked out for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's worked out for me a few times. Uh, technically, in reverse, though, where I've already bought the game and I'll trade it in, um, I always buy the Need for Speed games physical because you can get them like $30 off like three weeks after they come out. Mm-hmm. But only physical. 
So I do that, but I still own every Need for Speed game because they inevitably always hit PS Plus. So I yeah. still have Need for Speed 2015, Need for Speed Payback, and Need for Speed Heat. Mm. It's nice. It's true. Because like, I've had a thought, like I kind of want to replay them, like, at least one of them. I kind of really want to play 2015 again. Uh, and I was like, I could do that. I could do that because I still own them. Um, yeah, this is this seems like a solid month. Um, next thing up, though, Games Media got hands-on time with the upcoming Pro-Style controller from PlayStation. The DualSense Edge and initial impressions are mostly positive. One seemingly controversial aspect, though, at least according to social media, is the controller's battery life. Uh, feel free to chime in. What do you think? While many were hoping for a longer battery life, maybe you. It seems that players can expect a slightly diminished battery life when compared to the standard dual sense. So it doesn't sound like it's a huge drop, but it is a drop nonetheless. Which leads us to a question from one of our listeners, one of our patrons, longtime listener, longtime patron, Josh. He says, should people be so picky on a controller they haven't used? They said less battery than the dual sense. It could be 10 minutes less. They were never specific. That is true. They were not specific. Mm-hmm. Chris, what are your thoughts on this in particular? Uh, I'm still going to buy it. Um, I don't know. This doesn't really surprise me. It's a much higher end controller. I don't know. Like, I get why people were hoping for better battery life, but they're just improving the dual sense. It's not a. It's, you know, so I I don't I don't know. It sucks that you're paying two hundred dollars for a controller that probably dies a little a little quicker. But I don't know. You're paying for a lot of extra features too. So I'm not necessarily shocked about this. I think the I think my Elite controller dies quicker than my regular Xbox controller. You know, it's just normal for higher end, more heavy duty stuff. Well, yeah, it has more functions, which of course will more quickly right. during the battery life. I could see that. Um, what are your thoughts on people having opinions on something they haven't used? Because this is something you can easily stretch into why are you being picky on a game you haven't played? Which is a dangerous question to get into. Yeah, I was going to say that's not a question we as people who talk about video games should ever ask because we're just being hypocrites. Because <laughs> you Ooh, have to ask are, yourself... Yeah. It's like, why? oh, why are we excited for the next Call of Duty? We haven't touched it yet. <laughs> the trailers look yeah. cool like i don't it's you know that's that's that you you can't you can't ask that question talking about video games you can't ask it otherwise you just can't talk about video games until they're out and then that's not what we well, that's not what me and you do very specifically so yeah true i would say well and back up i wouldn't say that we never share opinions on games that we haven't bought or played uh, it un- it undoubtedly happens. I have yet to play a lick of Marvel's Avengers, and I have said things about the game. Now, I'll tell you, everything I've said about the game, I have prefaced with the fact that it's the way that I view it when I see people playing it. I have an opinion based off of what I've seen, but one crucial element to games is how they feel when you play them. There are games that I've watched people play that look boring as fuck, and then when I play them, I'm like, holy shit, this is super fun. But you wouldn't necessarily know it looking at it because sometimes the fun element is in your sense of control within that environment. Um, So there is that, but you're right. I think if you start asking people, well, should you be picky on a game that you haven't played yet? Well then Josh, I think the the way to look at it for yourself is okay. 
Think of a game that you didn't buy this year. Doesn't matter what game it is. Let's uh, let's say it's a Bethesda game. I know you don't normally buy Bethesda games. You've told me that before. Uh, so let's say Ghostwire Tokyo. I'm assuming that you didn't get it because it's Bethesda. Um, with that in mind, why are you being so picky on a game you haven't played? Why didn't mm-hmm. you? Why didn't you get it? You right. can't know that you're not going to like it until you play it, which is a completely factual statement, by the way. <laughs> you really can't know if you don't like something until you've played it, but you can cre- you can form a fairly solid reason as to why you don't want to roll the dice, which is yeah. every time it's what has. So this is people saying that this news has given them enough context that this might be the thing that stops them from wanting to roll the dice on spending $200 on a controller. Yeah. It's a completely fair statement. Whether I agree with it or not, it's a fair statement. But you can ultimately. also say it in the reverse, right? We're all, we're all we're all here like I think day one you should buy Final Fantasy sixteen. I haven't played it. it just looks fucking sick. Yeah. So I th- sure. I would I'm gonna buy it day one. I think you should too. Could be shit. <laughs> Could be. But it doesn't look like it. I think that's the thing. Like we're all looking at we all have a hobby that until the games come out is all hype and speculation or hype and shit talking. You know, I can sit here and look at you straight in the face and go, Starfield kind of looks like shit, but I haven't played it. It might be fun. Yep. It looks like shit, but it might be fun. And I don't say that as a fanboy thing. I think it look, look at those character models and tell me that the straight face, like, up. That's not, you know, it's not fun to see them just flapping their mouths like they did in the That's Far Cry 4, baby. One of your favorite games of all time? No, Far Cry Primal. Why did I include that in one of my favorite games of all time? It's just good. Um, I meant Fallout 4. If I said Far Cry, I'm sorry. I probably did. But it's Fallout 4. did say Far Cry. Fallout 4 is great. Yeah. But. You know, and those character models look just as shit as what you're talking about right now. I'm just throwing that out there. I don't because, disagree with you. Yeah, everybody you talk to looks like you're talking to a mannequin whose jaw is just moving. Right, and that's the thing yeah. is, I would have hoped for Starfield to have taken this long, that maybe they had improved that, and it might be great. I'm not saying it's going to be bad. Um, we also looked saying, at pre-footage, pre-release footage. Yeah. Right. A better example would be Redfall, where I saw just what the mechanics were in that leak, and I was like, I don't want to play that. I got no reason <laughs> to say that, but I watched what that looked like, and I was like, "Nah, no thanks. I'm cool. I'm chilling." You know, I don't know. I, I just don't think we should throw stones in glass houses as people who discuss video games on the internet. That's all. Yeah. Well, as Chris and myself and many other opportunities as well can tell you, Chris suddenly playing Red Dead Redemption Two and calling it <laughs> one of the best games ever and one of his favorite games ever is a big turnaround from someone who originally said that I, the game's not for me. Listen, at least I played it both times. <laughs> you did? I still think the funniest part about that is it turns out the mission that I was stuck on that made me hate the game, probably the easiest mission in the game. <laughs> probably. I laughed every time you told me the story. Yeah. Just throwing that out there. Uh, yeah, Josh, I think that I think your head's in the right space. Try not to be picky. This is everyone, right? It's good to tell everybody to try and not be so opinionated on something you haven't had and interaction with yet. But at the same time, I think it's fair for people to say, hey, I'm not being overly 
you know, crit- and, so, and of course, social media, which is what you're probably referring to, is acting like this is the end all be all. But there are people who are just look at this and going for two hundred dollars, a battery of life that's worse than what I already have is not doing it for me. It's an issue. If they could fix that, I would change my mind. And that's a fair statement for people Agreed. that are acting yeah. like this is the end of the world. Or this is some reason to hate Sony, which of course is going to happen on the internet. Yes, it's it's ridiculous. But I think for most people, the general rule should be get enough information to make your initial decision whether you want to purchase it and spend money that you may or may not have or time that you may or may not have. And know that that opinion could change if you ever got a chance to use that thing. But at least right now, you're not choosing to opt into it. That's a completely fair thing. Uh, next thing up, Neil Druckmann raised some ire in the annals of the internet in an interview with GQ. And yes, I said annals, not annals. Uh, when talking about his next game, which has been rumored to be The Last of Us Part 3, he said the game would be structured closer to a TV show. He expanded by saying that he isn't writing the script alone or with a single partner, but the team is getting a writer's room together so that the project can be more of a collaborative experience he clarified a few days later that he is only referring to making games in a more collaborative manner so fears of an episodic title from the studio seem to be quashed but before we get into some questions we got around these kind of ideas there is there is a part of me that wonders what are the benefits of writing and Chris, I think this is a good question for you as somebody who specifically writes stories, right? I'd say that me as a songwriter, I write stories that are within the constraints of a, you know, three to five minutes, sometimes longer song, but they're very short and they have other things going. So you're writing in a more traditional sense uh, when you do some of the things you're doing and some of the stuff we've been working on behind the scenes, uh, even though we've been slacking my big guy. Uh, <laughs> but what do you think the benefits are? Because I noticed that like when you're writing, you often tend to try and bounce things off of me. Yeah. What do you think the benefits are for a video game from moving to a more single to co-writer setup to instead an entire writer's room? Do you think there's benefits and do you think there's any potential negatives that could come from that when looking at something that is more long form? than TV shows tend to be, hmm. but also has this interactive element. What are you, what are your fears uh, and or happy parts? You know, what, what do you think is good? Well, I'm not going to talk about my happy parts on the show, but you should, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I joke. And jest, um, and jest. but I think my biggest concern, Kiki, with the writer's don't even room, ask. Sorry. Go ahead. Big. My biggest concern <laughs> with the writer's room is that Neil Druckmann's ideas can get outvoted, right? And that's one of those things where, you know, with what we're working on, I ask you for feedback, but I'll tell you right now, you've had ideas where I'm like, that doesn't make any fucking sense, and I'm not doing that, right? Because I'm the writer. I ask you for uh, your opinion because I want to know, like, oh, do you think this is stupid? And you've had times where you're like, well, what's the reason? And I go, there isn't a fucking reason. It's cool. <laughs> you know, and that's that's just as much of an answer as anything else, right? And sure. but it also helps me to understand like, all right, maybe I shouldn't have a whole thing where he walks underwater because that doesn't make any sense, even though it's cool as shit. You know what I mean? So 
that 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 does help and you know in, in times where you're like you know you know you could look at me and be like listen this idea is great but do you really want to you know have this conversation right do you really want to open the door to this whether it's political or you're telling a story about something that's controversial but people might not pick up that you're anti that or whatever it is you know Nope, not going to make the joke. Um, I get your point. Like, do you do you want it to be social commentary, and are people going to pick up that it's social commentary? And if so, are you saying something with it, or are you are you only commenting on the fact that society is even having these qualms? Right. It's like I made the joke to you where I was talking about putting a whole thing about insurance in it as a joke, and to yeah. me. It was just a joke, but then I think about it and I'm like, people are going to look at this as a commentary, whether I mean to or not, you know? And so that's what was, you know, that's something that helped me kind of look at that idea and you talk about it and go, Hey, this is where we're going or this is where it might go. And me go, yeah, but I still think it's funny. So I'm going to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Yeah. And that's what I think the worry is with a writer's room where Neil could look at like, and this is just my speculation, right? But Neil could look at someone and go, this game needs to be about Ellie and Abby coming together, resolving their differences and going after the faction at the end. I don't remember. I haven't played it in a long time. Um, Cause that's where I, that's where I want the game to go. But everyone else in that room could be like, no, it doesn't make any sense. So he gets outvoted, right? He's the visionary, but his story ends up being everyone else's story and his stuff gets thrown to the side, you know, and that, that's what worries me when you're talking about a visionary, you know, it's, it would be different in my mind if this was Treyarch talking about the next call of duty title, you know, but I think the last of us is very specifically Neil Druckmann's the last of us, the same way metal gear is Hideo Kojima's metal gear solid. Um, so that's my fear of a writer's room for him or for any game that they do personally. I hope that makes sense. No, I think it does. And just for context, for anyone who may not know, the first The Last of Us was kind of co-written, from what I understand, by Bruce and um, Neil. And that means that for both games, Neil has kind of had someone else to be a sounding board, but it's always mm. been one person. So for The Last of Us 2, it was uh, Hallie Gross, I think is how you pronounce her name, who was from yep. uh, Westworld. And I think like Chris said, the difference between a co-writer is I think it's easier to be more personable with each other and it's easier to expound your idea and help them see what you're coming from. And they can still be a sounding board that can help you realize when you may be overthinking or underthinking something or steer you in a slightly different direction or even put you onto a direction that you never thought of just from a conversation with them. But a one-on-one thing, it seems a lot different to me than an entire writer's room. But it depends on how they're utilizing this. Because, you know, there's writer's rooms where you're... Typically, a writer's room in a show is, hey, we're, we're going to come up with a story and the jokes around it. But, you know, this is where knowing the process would actually be really beneficial. And I'm going to tell you, I don't know the whole thing. I know the point of a writer's room. There's a great, um, there's a great 
documentary about South Park and how they come up with all of their ideas, write the episodes, write all everything about them and animate them and put them out in a single week. And they've been doing this for years and years and years, uh, well over a decade. And they have a writer's room. And when they go through it, they talk about ideas for what they want to happen in the episode and the jokes that are around that. But sometimes there's this thought that, okay, well, Trey and Matt still ultimately have the story they want to tell in mind. But then they have a writer's room to sound off for supplemental ideas within that. But then other times it feels like the whole room is crafting the story. And that makes it hard to say because I think South Park's a really good example because I think most people would credit South Park's success to Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Um, So kind of like Chris is saying here, people are attributing the success of The Last of Us to Neil Druckmann's vision. Uh, But even Trey Parker and Matt Stone use a writer's room. So I can see where it can be beneficial in helping writing like dialogue and interactions between people to tell the story that Neil's wanting to tell. Maybe Neil gets to set up the events of the story and the writer's room Mm -hmm. is to help flesh them out with the in-between for that to help create something that feels more natural or comes up with something different instead of it just being him and one other person. But maybe it is that he wants there to be like, here's what I have as an idea for a story, but let's all work together and make a collaborative game. But it's, you know, I think it just really depends. I think some people like the auteur game where it's very much this one person or very, very small group of people's ideas. And then some people like games that are very much a large group where everyone gets a piece of the pie and gets to throw something in the pot. And I don't know which one's better or which one's worse, but I'll at least say that the last of us is a very successful series. Even if the second game was uh, divisive is a, is a strong term because it clearly did very well. Uh, and, 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 multitude of ways sales and everything Uh, but it was a controversial game when the first game wasn't and regardless of that the second game is very successful yeah so part of me thinks like why mess with a good thing but then part of me thinks how does that benefit maybe there's someone in the room that says like hey maybe we can try and tell this story through gameplay so yeah that's that's part of it i'm going to tell you i don't really know what this means but it definitely seems like there's no reason to worry about them becoming a telltale games and being episodic i don't think that that's really what they want to go uh through because chris have you played have you played many episodic games yeah i've played almost all telltale games last life is strange i played i wait okay that's what i was about to ask do you play them as they release or do you wait until they're all done i will say um, because I couldn't wait, I did Batman season two episodically. I actually thought it was pretty cool. The problem, so I think this is a problem. The problem with Telltale ha- is that they weren't consistent with their release schedule, and I think yeah. that's the biggest hurdle for these games. If you told me that, like, let's say, do you remember the cards from The Last of Us two? Yes. If, if you told me that Naughty Dog was taking a small team and doing an episodic superhero game based on those cards and they were going to release it once every month and they hit that every time for 10 episodes, 15 episodes, that would be cool as hell. I don't know why that's that would that would be a bad thing. That would be awesome to know that once a month I'm getting 
five hours of this really intense superhero story. Or maybe two hours, as long as it's consistent and you know what it is. Right. As long as I know yeah. what's coming and it's a story and, you know, I, I would maybe shoot for longer so there's more gameplay than a Telltale game, you know? Sure. But not every episode has to have a gauntlet of enemies either. So, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity to do episodic correctly. I just don't think anyone's been able to nail down how to do it right. And the reality is, and I don't think, I don't think gamers as a whole would like this. Make the whole game and cut it up. And that way, at least you can go, bam, it's coming out every month. I've thought of that before. Yeah. Like that's, that's what I would do. But then it becomes like, well, why didn't you just release it all at once? But it's 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 kind of like this is the difference between all gamers, right? Or all all people who enjoy entertainment. Like you have the crowd like me who very much like the binge it mentality, which uh-huh. I do. Uh, you know, when it comes to shows on Netflix, I absolutely loathe when Netflix is like, we're going to start releasing episodes by the week. And I'm like, I don't give a shit. I'm just going to wait until they're all out and then watch them all at my yeah. own leisure. Because I can watch one episode a night or I can watch one episode a week or I can watch all episodes in one night. I am the master of my own, you know, happiness in that situation. But then there are people that are like, yeah, I like having something to look forward to every week. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I don't think of it that way, but I'm not saying it's wrong. Well, this is the most obvious statement of all time, but it has to be good and warrant wait and not waiting, sure, right? Sure. You have to, because I think the thing is, if, if Naughty Dog did announce this, right? And we're like, this is the story we're doing and the trailer looks incredible and the story seems really cool. You could get me in. You could get me to go, hell fucking yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm playing this right now. And then it ends and I'm excited for the next week's episode. So Because for me, it's usually I'll play the first episode and then wait for the rest. Because it's never compelling enough to not wait. I can't even do yeah. that. Like A good example of, of me feeling vindicated to the way I typically do it, where I wait so I can binge. And the upside to binging is that you can quickly tell whether you want to keep watching or not with enough information around it. And sometimes a show that was weekly can have a poor episode and having to wait a week is like, ah, you're not going to pull me back in. And now you've lost me entirely. But like a recent example, uh, Disney Plus's Kenobi, the short series they did. I watched the first episode Mm -hmm. and the second episode because they did both of them at the same time. And when I watched the first episode, I thought to myself, if I had to wait a week for follow-up to this, I would just never watch it again. Because the first episode, I sat back there and I thought, if this second episode is not significantly better, I'm not just I'm just not gonna watch the show. You know, some people I think feel that need to watch it anyway, but for me, I am very much like a, if I'm not feeling a connection, I'm not gonna sit there and do that. Um, so there's that aspect. But then there is the aspect of hitting it on time. So you talked about how inconsistent Telltale was, and that's exactly was stopped at the only time I bought a game early enough uh, to be able to play it as the episodes went by was Guardians of the Galaxy. And the f- I, I bought it on disc, and then they let you download the remaining episodes. I didn't even start it because I saw the release schedule for the next episode, and it was like three months. And I right. thought, there's no fucking way I'm going to play this and then wait three months and then play it again. So instead, I mm-hmm. waited until every episode came out. I owned this game on disc for a year and some <laughs> odd months before I finally played it. And it was great. But I don't think I, I don't. 
I don't think I could have returned to it three months later because it's the same problem I have with not playing game DLCs. It's like, I'm done with that game. <laughs> There's a sense of completion, and I don't know that I would be able to view that as a sequel because it would be ultimately more of the same mechanics and ideas. And I would just be like, this is bullshit. Why didn't you just do this to <laughs> get go? So I kind of like the current setup because it lets you do either. It, it, it lets you say, I'm going to wait or, okay, I'm going to actually do this weekly. And you just get dealer's choice. Uh, but I agree with you. I think it was the Life is Strange 2 or one of those where I think that they had a every month a new episode released. And I was like, that's a reasonable thing. Like it's it's long enough that it gives them the ability to still work on it. But what they probably did is got all episodes pretty close to where they wanted and then just, okay, polish that one, get that one out. Once that one's out, we start polishing and finishing up the next episode. All right, that one's out. We just keep going and we're always ahead of the cart. And I don't think that that's how telltale did it i think telltale were like all right we're gonna write and record and produce and make the first episode and then we're gonna pull all the actors back and we're gonna do mocap and everything for the second episode we have to write the episode and create the episode <laughs> and it just took forever uh but i'm not inherently against the idea of episodic stuff because i like the idea of breaking a game story into distinct episodes where like you want to have a tone for this overarching events and then you want to close it and you want to do it again and you said it in the discord earlier that the last of us kind of already does that in the original game with the idea of seasons there's a tone mm-hmm. to each season and the game treats it like episodes you get an opening title card for that and, and the tone of that happens and the events happen and then all right big enough thing happens we're going to shift to another season and that's kind of like little episodes of long form tv so um all right we got a question two questions actually first one comes from rude days 93 patron of course he says so we know naughty dog is working on factions last of us three and possibly a rumored new ip assuming one of these games is the quote more structured like a tv show quote which one would you want it to be Now, because we don't completely know what he means by that statement, even though he states that it's just working in a more collaborative manner, the question still stands within the what we talked about, Chris. Even if it's something where you get less of Neil Druckmann's vision, which of these types of games do you think you would want it to be that this is what's being experimented with? I mean, I think we can probably rule out factions. Factions seems like a naturally... Well, collaborative on. game, right? I was going to say, Factions probably seems like the best choice for this, actually. Yeah. Because there doesn't have to be a lot of story. But what there is of story has to be impactful, so it does make sense to have a bunch of people in there. Um, sure. But I, I mean, I, I think it's fairly obvious he's talking about The Last of Us 3 strictly because... I don't think Neil Druckmann has the time to do The Last of Us Season 2 on HBO, The Last of Us 3, and a new IP, and have a life worth living. So, you know, I, so I think it's got to be one of the two, and you'd have to imagine whatever the new IP is is being led by someone else. Yeah. That studio's Eric Williams, if you will. Sure, maybe. Well, I think about other studios, right? Like Square Enix has had a tendency to give Tetsuya Nomura 
directing <laughs> duties and creative directing duties over multiple projects at once, multiple times. And it doesn't always go well because it's hard. Um, he was doing Kingdom Hearts 3 and Final Fantasy 7 remake pretty much on top of each other, which is not an ideal setup <laughs> in so. all honesty. Uh, so with that in mind, I can see where it's easy to say that. But if I answer this question for what would I personally want it to be, I'm going to remove factions from that as well because I think factions feels like the obvious answer for that. But I also think factions is close enough that there's no way that's what he's talking about. Because, Chris, would you agree that reading what he's talking about, this seems to be something he's gotten the idea for after being involved with The Last of Us show? And he's like, oh, I like the process here. I'm going to take this and use it in my next project to see what it looks like in a gaming environment, right? Yes, that's what I'd have to think. Okay, so with that in mind, I think Factions is too far along, even if it's a good fit for it. And it may honestly be a, a weird version of the same thing. I really think he's talking about his one of their next big games uh, and not the online multiplayer one. With that in mind, I'm going to actually go back to what Chris said and say that I don't want it to be The Last of Us Part 3. I want The Last of Us Part 3 to be the final leg of Neil's ideas. I want it to be a through and through Neil Druckmann game for all good and all bad that comes with that, if depending on how you view it. Uh, because I think that there are issues with The Last of Us 2. I still also think The Last of Us 2 is a great game. I'm willing to let him do it again because whether or not he's taken it to heart, some of the criticisms for The Last of Us Part 2 are genuine criticisms that are not looking at the game in bad faith. And I think if Neil Druckmann were to actually look at them critically, he'd see where maybe he would do a few things differently. So part of me wants to see what him going through this process, making this process and having to dedicate to it, because that's what making something is. You have to eventually stick with an idea and go see it through, even if at the end of it all, turns out that a better, a different idea might have been better. So I want to see him do three without other voices in on that necessarily. I think a new IP is a really easy way for him to absolve some of that. Uh, what would you call that? The the frustration that comes with spearheading a project like this creatively by being able to rely on a larger group of people. So I feel like that's also a good idea for him to still be able to be somehow involved with the game and still get his name in the billing. Because it's just like, any game from Kojima Productions, you're ideally going to want to say it's a Kojima game. Even if Kojima's like, well, I'm really working on Death Stranding too. And this other game, I'm kind of just, I'm involved with, but it's happening slightly separate from me. So I think that's a benefit they could have. So that's my answer. Whatever this new IP is, not sure what I want that to be even. Uh, but there's a secondary Superhero question game. that comes in here, Chris. Maybe, but Infamous already exists. I need a new Infamous game. Maybe Naughty Dog will do it. Maybe Cole McGrath will be in the game. Yeah. He, I don't want to say it. I was going to make a joke. <laughs> Bring it back just to kill him in the first two hours. I was going to say, yeah. What if they play golf with him this time? <laughs> like I've turned I almost everyone think I into conduits. Edit. Almost want to edit that out, but. Um, I think if you've been on the internet, you got to just know by now to some degree. But you know what? Uh, The secondary question comes from Jehudi MD, patron. He says, 
what do you think about integrating media together? Has it ever been more than a flash in the pan critically or commercially? And I did ask for a little bit of more content, uh, context just so I knew we were going to be answering to what he had in mind. So my initial thought process was something like Quantum Break, Bandersnatch, or Defiance. I don't know if you even remember Defiance. It was a late PS3 sci-fi channel show and video yeah. game. It was an MMO, um, or I guess more or less an MMO. And so that is what he's talking about. So Quantum Break, Bandersnatch, games where they are they are half game, half alternate media in some way. But I definitely think he's thinking of ones that are more closely tied together, like Bandersnatch, where it's a game and a movie all at once, or Quantum Break, where it's half game, half movie, but they're interleaved within each other. Have you liked any of these? And do you think that there is a way to do it well? Or is there an example where you already feel like it's been done well? I don't think I've played enough of them to have an opinion, honestly. It's funny. I saw you playing Control earlier. Yeah. Um, which apparently wasn't much because you you didn't mention it. So it's I'm assuming it's something you just hopped into. Uh, yeah, I literally am at the clearing the hiss from the checkpoint. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, Quantum Break is, of course, Remedy's game before that. Yeah. Quantum Break is great. Yeah, I, I played a little bit of Quantum Break, actually. It was fine. It's really good. I think it it's the closest I've seen anyone getting to blending that in a way that felt novel, but not overplayed, mm-hmm. but worked and had a sense of magic. I think the problem with Bandersnatch is that it was very easy and really quick to find the limits of the game. And I think yeah. part of that's how they 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 made it seem like you're going to have all these infinite choices, but you can quickly see the illusion of choice where you, it makes you think there's two different options, but then there's only a couple of different ending points that you can really hit. Um, so I think the way that that was marketed was the issue, whereas Quantum Break was like, we're just going to give you a story and we're going to think about the interactive aspect and we'll give you that, but then parts where we're going to tell story with characters that we don't want you to be in control of necessarily, we're going to take that out of your hands and you're just going to watch it. And I think the reason that it worked is because, Chris, I was talking about with Quarry, the Quarry earlier, how because it's a game, it feels like it's taking longer to do things that movies do very quickly, which help you get invested from a horror standpoint and it's slow to do maybe something like the quarry would have actually been an ideal situation for this. Maybe I start the game with a TV episode of all these camp counselors getting together and then, Oh, we're going to have to stay a night at the quarry because the vans broke down. And then what you do is you have me start playing when there's actually stuff for me to interact with that's interesting and not just, well, you're going to walk around and talk with between characters. I think that Quantum Break is pretty close to the best example of that I've seen. And I would like to see more of it, but I have to assume it's hard to do. And that's probably so. why it's not something that you see done often. Because even though Microsoft paid for that game and did it, that game has not really gotten a lot of extra oomph from Microsoft after it launched, and no one's really tried the idea again, unfortunately. Yeah. It just seems like a lot of work and probably a lot of money. Well, Chris, if I can, Hi. you've played enough of Inscription. 
to know that inscription isn't the same thing, but I feel like it scratches some of those same itches ideas. Like it's, it's like, okay, we're going to show you something that really doesn't make sense to give to you in gameplay, but it adds to the story and the game in a big way. And I think that's what inscription does. So there's literally points where you're just watching minutes of video. Yeah, it's good. (laughs) But it's awesome. Yes, it is. And that is in a weird way what Quantum Break did. Sure. Now, this is where it got weird. Quantum Break had decisions, right? Same thing as Bandersnatch. It had decisions that you could make. And then it would change the episode that you watched to make sure that the episode lined up with a decision you made beforehand. So that means every episode that was an interstitial for gameplay had multiple versions that it had to compile together and play depending on what you chose. So that's probably where it's really difficult. And that's probably where the quarry would face the same issue. The videos would have to be lined up with the choices that you've made. Because one of the good things about the quarry is you can like create or break apart friendships. You can make people like each other or dislike each other or become annoyed with each other. And you would, if you're going to have video aspects of that, you would want those characters to be annoyed with each other even in the episode. You wouldn't want the episode to suddenly feel like it erased what you did. And that's complicated. Yeah, it seems like a lot of work. I don't know that anyone's going to do that. That's the thing. As much as that sucks. Well, you know how people talk about, we had a, a long conversation on the Discord about VR and AR. And how as much as people talk about them and make TV shows and have these crazy dreams about them, and the reality, playing on a TV is probably never going to stop being the thing that people really want to do. And so what that means is that as cool as that can be, it's only ever going to be a novel splash in the industry, which is kind of what VR and AR are. They're like an alternate thing that will never be as big as couch and controller and hand gaming. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Both can exist, but VR games are going to exist in a far fewer and various number, uh, you know, variety than console games uh, or PC games. And that's fine. And I think in that same way, games will never overwhelmingly become integrated media. But when they do happen, if they're done well, I think they can be really cool moments in time. Yeah, they definitely can be. I, I would love to see it executed properly. It just seems like an investment I don't see anyone making yet right now. I don't know that you'd ever have time because it is a, a, a good time investment. But you should play Quantum Break. I think it's I part of Game it Pass. on PC. If you okay, you should try it because I played it on PC as well. All right, I'll give it a shot just for you, buddy. If you're enjoying control, the gameplay is not much different than control, very snappy. You have time based powers, if that wasn't obvious (laughs) (laughs) by by everything that you've seen about the game up until that point. All right, I'm setting it Uh, to download right now. Look at you go. That brings us to the last piece of news we have here. Industry insider Tom Henderson has written up a wonderful rumor, again, stirring the Xbox and Activision pot, (laughs) of course. Apparently, in an employee Q&A, Jim Ryan stated that he doesn't think of Xbox Game Pass as competition. He goes as far as saying that the PS5 has already sold more consoles than Game Pass has subscribers, which is a heated indictment of the service. 
He also mentions that Plus has about 50 million subscribers and Game Pass is in the low 20s. This rings the same as Xbox listing Bloodborne, a Sony IP, wholly owned by Sony but developed by From Software, as something Sony is blocking from Xbox, which, while technically true, this would mean that Xbox is blocking Halo, uh, Gears, Forza, all from PlayStation. It's all an attempt to steer regulators in the wrong direction with the hope that none of them actually know the gaming space. And that's Chris's editorializing, but I don't completely disagree with it. <laughs> it's a real crazy space. I remember where someone posted the list of Xbox saying that there's exclusion clauses for these developers have to release their games and they can't release on Xbox consoles and from, and, and Bloodborne's one of them. I'm like, yeah, well, Sony published that game. It's not like Sony went to Sony and said, hey, release Bloodborne, but you got to sign this and say you'll never release it for Xbox. Right. Why, why it, would they? That, or, that's one of those well, things. Why would that ever come into play? So it's stupid. But go ahead, Chris. That's one of those things. And you feel free if you want to save this industry source or not. But people like Jez Corden pissed me off so much because he was reporting that as if that made any kind of sense because it painted Xbox in a good light and Sony as the hypocrites. And that really was frustrating for me as someone who he is a respected journalist in the industry. And then he's on his own website being like, yeah, Sony's blocking Bloodborne from Xbox. Yeah, it's Sony's game. And I think this is, you know, I think that shows what's happening in when the lawyers are talking to the FTC and the CMA is they're fucking lying about shit and they're doing it because they're not in court. They're not under oath. They're trying to get these people who don't play video games, except for the one guy who said my PlayStation five, you know, who don't know what they're talking about. And that's why Jim Sony's lawyers are going, Oh, well we're super scared of game pass. Jim Ryan's like, "What what are you talking about? Game Pass doesn't mean shit to me because it doesn't because everything he's doing is more successful than Game Pass, whether people want to admit that or not. So I think that's why like every time people are like, oh, Sony's a hypocrite. Oh, Xbox is a hypocrite. It's not true because, you know, well, it is true, but it's not. It's 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 true in the context of them trying to. We all know that neither of them believe this stuff. And if Sony's being a hypocrite, so is Xbox. And if Sony's trying to dissuade regulators by lying, so is Xbox. Again, Xbox knowingly put Bloodborne there in the same way. If if they wanted to make a better case in using Bloodborne, they would have put uh, God of War 2. But they didn't do that because Sony Santa Monica is owned by PlayStation and from software is not outside of fourteen point five percent of it. So, you know th- I, that's and what's at the frustrating. Time of Bloodborne, that investment that was not this. true. But yeah, so, you know, Sony is not blocking. It. Sony does not need to sign an exclusivity clause on a game that they own. The Xbox just put that in there because they can put from software at the end of it. And then it goes, oh, the guys making Elden Ring have made a Sony exclusive that's not allowed on Xbox. And then you have a whole shit storm. So this, this I think, was the story that made me never want to hear about this shit again. Because it just proved, including fucking Tom Henderson, just full of shit. They're just drinking the Kool-Aid of this Xbox deal because it's buying them clicks and it's buying them all this stuff. And if you're a Sony fanboy, then... This is ridiculous. And if you're an Xbox fanboy, you're actually writing in your goddamn Twitter that L- Lena, Linda Khan should resign. Like, you guys are all 
dishonest and it's starting to frustrate the shit out of me. Tom Henderson, this is the most important story I've ever written. What are you talking about? Why? Why is this important? This doesn't tell you anything that you couldn't have gotten by just reading the goddamn things. They're all full of shit and they're all trying to confuse Congress. The same way, obviously this isn't Congress, but it's the same way that the Facebook guys when, you know, Congressman's like, well, I have the Facebook app on my phone, so does that mean that I own Facebook? Like, it's all it's all ridiculous. These people don't know what they're talking about. Sony lawyers and Xbox lawyers are taking advantage of that. That's all this is. That's all it is. Yeah, I, I often look at the Facebook uh, Congress or whatever it was. I think it was Congress. Yeah, but it the, was. The, the meeting, and I remember watching the officials sitting up there and just hearing them talk was like, you could say anything to them right now. They don't fucking right. have a clue. They have no like, clue. They just don't. And because Facebook's algorithm is proprietary and all these other things are proprietary because it's a, you know, private, you know, you know what I mean? It's, it's a business that chooses to operate within these things. It's secrets for itself. There's not even truly a way to completely discredit anything that they're saying. So you have Congress coming from a well-meaning place, I think, asking what the dangers of these things are, but not having the mental constitution to even understand what's being said to them. And that does feel like that's part of what's happening here. Because when you read the stuff that's going on, if you're someone that's clued into the industry at all, it feels like that makes no fucking sense. Like there's right. there's stuff we don't know, right? Like how do they know for sure? And there might be an answer, but this is a genuine question for me. How would Xbox know for sure that Sony is making people sign a, an exclusion clause? They can't. Wouldn't an exclusion clause come with the thing that you're probably not supposed to tell Xbox that the only reason you're not releasing Final Fantasy on their system is because Sony paid you a bunch of money to help develop the game and co-publish the game or whatever it be? And said, by the way, part of us doing this is that you can't release it on Xbox. I mean, maybe, maybe that's maybe. genuinely it. Maybe, maybe Phil was hit up Square Enix and was like, why do I not have Final Fantasy VII Remake yet? And they were like, well, you see, Sony helped pay for it. And part of the, you know, stipulations for their pocketbook was we can't release it on you. <laughs> like, right. I don't, maybe. But it feels like probably not. And so it feels I, like Microsoft is speculating and doing so in a way that looks un, uh, looks bad on Sony. But it's not... And going from there. Do you have... Uh, hold on. Let me, let me look that up. You continue vamping quick. I want to look something up. <laughs> vamping? I will yeah, vamp. just keep talking. Yeah, no. Uh, but... To your point, as you type away on your clickety clackies, this feels this whole thing feels ridiculous. Though it is hard to read a statement, assuming that this leak is true, saying that Jim Ryan doesn't view it as competition, while Sony equally says in its thing that they view it as competition. But as you've stated, I don't think either side truly believes every single thing they're pushing out. So it ultimately is just a game of hoping that one of their bullshitteries wins them over. Right. So here's the list that Xbox included. It was Final Fantasy VII Remake, Bloodborne, Final Fantasy XVI, and Silent Hill 2. Now, can you tell me what connects two of those games in Final Fantasy XVI and Silent Hill 2? 
Yeah, Japanese games that were made because of Sony. No, 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 no. We just saw them. Oh, yeah, they're very new. So they're in the news. Okay. As. Oh, as, yeah, point is. What game just won Game of the Year, Brett? Elden Ring. Right. Developed by. From Software. Which, who so made. So you think the piece was editorialized, Bloodborne. Yes, because to, everything to be that as they, hot to the news as possible. Correct. Everything yeah. that they talked about was in the news, outside of you know Final Fantasy VII remake, which is the only example of a game that was announced for Xbox, which it wasn't. It was announced that it was no longer exclusive after that certain date. But so all of the games that they listed are games that are in the news that some person at one of these places might have seen. And now they're like, oh, hmm, that blooper team game, it's never coming to Xbox, which we don't even know is true. I actually think it's, I th- actually think they announced in the trailer that it wasn't true, right? Wasn't that one of those ones like Forspoken where it's like, no, oh, console exclusive until June 21st, 2038, you know, that kind well, of it's thing. Well, it's the same vague wording. They have gotten smarter at making sure that they have opportunity on the table and they don't, they don't market themselves into a corner. Right. So go back and think about specifically, think about Final Fantasy VII uh, Remake. The first time that we showed it, the first time they showed it at E3 2015, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may have been 2016, but one of those two. It said, play it first on PlayStation. Yep. That was wording that is more strongly c- makes it sound like you're going to be able to play it elsewhere. Right? Okay, fair enough. If you look at the wording for stuff like Forspoken, uh, let's, let's take a step back. Looking at Final Fantasy VII still, that cover art thing that people have been sharing on Twitter talking about this should be illegal to be able to say PlayStation 4 exclusive until 3-3-21. Yeah. If you notice, a lot of their wording since then has become console exclusive until at least... Mm-hmm. This, this, this. And I think the reason that is, is that if you remember, there are some reports that I do believe that Final Fantasy VII got a secondary year of exclusivity with Intergrade mm-hmm. for PlayStation because they're like, okay, you can bring it to a PC. Then PS5 is going to get a version of the game that is, once again, exclusive and doesn't go anywhere else. And I think Sony wants their deals to be flexible. And I think that's why you see the wording on Final Fantasy VII Remake, as they've been talking about now, or even uh, really a better example, Final Fantasy XVI and Forspoken being console exclusive until at least this date, or PlayStation 5 exclusive until at least this date. So that they can say, all right, so it can come on PC day one, but if it ever does come to consoles other than PlayStation, it can't be until at least after this date. Instead of saying, well, it will, or at least instead of it sounding like it will come to PlayStation, to consoles other than PlayStation after this date. Um, and I think that's a weird thing. You know, I think it's it should already be understood that if you say console exclusive until this date, it doesn't mean that on 3-3-21, Final Fantasy VII Remake should have been expected to launch that day. It means that Square, should they choose to do so, can develop and release on that day or later a version of Final Fantasy VII for Xbox if they choose to do so, assuming that there is no exclusion clause. If there is an exclusion clause, why is that? 
How much of the reason is the game coming because Sony helped fund it? A good, a good example to think of there is Street Fighter V, a game that right. Capcom said time and again that they had zero intentions to make and would not have been able to make at the time that they were doing it because Capcom wasn't doing very well at the time mm-hmm. that Street Fighter V came out. And they said Sony paid for a significant portion of the game. I think that they essentially co uh, co-funded the project. So you can say they yep. split cost right down the middle. And that's why it makes sense for that game to have never went anywhere else. So if you look and you ask yourself the same question, what percentage of Final Fantasy VII was paid for and developed pretty much exclusively, you know I mean, pretty much by Sony when looking at any way that's not Square Enix? If we say that Sony paid for 40% of the development cost of Final Fantasy VII Remake, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But let's say they did. Is it fair for Sony to say, hey, we paid for almost half the game. We don't care if you release it on PC, but you will not release it on our competitor. From a business standpoint, are we truly going to look at that as wrong? If the product is only made because of Sony's funding, then is it really an issue? You know, you think back to people talking about exclusives and you can say, well, exclusives are bad. And my go-to thing tends to be that most exclusives are games that would not have been made if that publisher or that console manufacturer didn't come in and say, this is an idea that we think is interesting and unique enough that we're willing to fund it, sell it, promote it, and make it a showcase for our platform, even when it may only sell two, three, four, five, ten million 10 million copies. Whereas everyone else is most likely going to want you to make this as a triple A game. They're going to want to make, they want you to make something that will sell hopefully 20, 30, 40 million mm-hmm. copies. And that's the benefit of Nintendo being able to step in and go to Sega and say, hey, look, from what we understand, we got people who would love to see Bayonetta 2. We understand Bayonetta 1 didn't sell well enough for you to really think about making a sequel. But guess what? We'll co-fund with you. Maybe we'll fund for the whole game. You keep the IP, we'll fund the whole game. It only releases on our system. What's Mm -hmm. truly wrong with that? If a product is only made because a developer or because of a console manufacturer saying, we see an opportunity here for a PR win. This will get more people to buy our system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's the problem? I don't see one. You know, it's the same. People have to just really look at what's going on with Xbox and Activision and realize that a trillion dollar corporation is spending $69 billion on a billion dollar corporation. And that is always going to come with scrutiny i don't understand why people like like jez and like all these xbox fanboys on twitter who are sitting there like it doesn't even make sense that they're looking at it this is 69 billion (laughs) dollars yeah that's more than you know we've only we've only recently moved into ag to acquisitions uh being really at that scale yeah right think about things like insomniac being 220 million Right. Exactly. It's seems quaint. Automatic right, exactly. It's like baseball contracts, man. It's like Manny Ramirez is blowing people away making eight years one sixty, and now the worst player I've ever seen is making the same money. You know? It's it's it all it's all degrees and it all has to be looked at. And I, I don't understand why people are surprised by this. Yeah. You know? It's not the same as anything as Sony's done. And quite frankly, it's not the same as anything Microsoft has done. 
This is uncharted territory for the entire industry, taking the biggest publisher other than the big three and bringing them in-house to one of them. That is industry changing, whether you want to admit it or not, because your plastic box is the one getting it. We would be having the same conversation if Sony was buying Activision. But the reason that Sony is not buying Activision is because they don't have a trillion dollar corporation who can eat $69 billion for breakfast and then shit out $80 million for dinner. Like, there is the Xbox in and of itself makes it an uncompetitive situation. Because, like, I think I said on a couple of shows ago, the reason that they're using the specific word of Xbox and not using Microsoft as much is because Xbox. Once you put Microsoft in it, it's a cartoonishly laughable thing to say, we're the little guys. You're fucking Microsoft. (laughs) Yeah. Sony is building their games on your OS. Like, let's take a step back here and realize who we're talking about. Maybe it goes through, maybe it doesn't. I don't really fucking care if it goes through or not because regardless of the fact, financially it just makes sense for Xbox to keep putting Call of Duty on there and that's quite frankly the only Activision game I can think of that I care about. So, fine. But the fact that people are shocked that this is under scrutiny and the fact that people are shocked that Phil Spencer and Jim Lyon are... are (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was a little Sigmund Freud slip right there. But the fact You've that you've been on Twitter it, too much, I, I have. Why and Jimmy? Why <laughs> and Jim Ryan? Um, but yeah, just the fact <laughs> that people are surprised by any of this blows me away. It's just a complete lack. I don't even know if it's a complete lack of knowledge, but it is certainly, it is certainly fanboyism taking over what you're doing, which is why I'm so passionately frustrated with people who are industry insiders who taste make these conversations and then they're they're purposely ignorant to it when you use spider-man as an example of an exclusive sony bot which microsoft could have had and decided against it that is their fault it is a sony ip sony is making that version of spider-man okay just go look at the into the spider-verse trailer it's a different version of spider-man it's not the Activision Spider-Man. That one's in the trailer. So for anyone who may not, let's let's give some context to what you're saying here. So when you say Xbox could have had Spider-Man, let's add some context around that for anybody who's listening. But they went to Xbox before Sony and offered to make Marvel games with them. Or they, I think they offered them to make a Marvel game. Xbox turned it down to make their own IPs. And then Marvel went to Sony. Sony said yes. Insomniac got to choose any hero they want and and chose Spider-Man. They could have done a Moon Knight game, but they chose Spider-Man. They chose Wolverine. Who knows who they're going to choose next? But, you know, it's a bad example. A, because Sony made it themselves. But B, because Microsoft had the opportunity and didn't take it. So it's hard to blame Sony for money-hatting when... Xbox could have done it and chose not to. So you, how are we complaining about this? Well, and now you have the fact that Xbox has an internal Indiana Jones game. Right. A culturally beloved icon of film and more. 
is going to have an exclusive title on Xbox? How dare they? That should be a multi-platform game. That's a multi-platform character. That is a character yeah. that's been... A, you 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 didn't have to have a specific TV to watch the Indiana Look, Jones. And the, 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 Leg- <laughs> the Lego Indiana Jones games are on all consoles. I could play them on my PS3. Why can't I play them on my PS5 now? Yeah. Although I still think that game's multi-platform. I'd be re- I'm very curious to see because they've been they've not said anything about it, which may be because no. they're not ready to show it. Who knows? I, I think that I game was specifically announced at a specific time, which was pre-deal because closing, of that. Because yeah. it was multi-platform. But just to be the uh, devil's advocate, there, uh, Starfield was also, and the Elder Scrolls Six both announced prior to the deal, hundred percent still are going exclusive so but those aren't backed by disney you know that is true those are not games that have some bigger company but disney's also the one backing spider-man who they are allowing to remain exclusive so with all that in 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 the heart of everything i understand it's a it's a weird period to look at games and try and understand but I'll tell you, I think that it's pretty easy to be consistent here, and I am mm-hmm. not upset that there's going to be an. It, let's say that the Indiana Jones game is exclusive to Microsoft. That's fine. I don't care. That's yeah. good. Good for them, right? Yeah. Wolverine exactly. is exclusive to Insomniac because Insomniac chose to work with it, and they're making a game for the people that bought them and fund their games. Exactly. I don't know what else to tell you. Insomniac bought, or Insomniac didn't buy, but Insomniac got Microsoft to pay for Sunset Overdrive and Sunset Overdrive is currently still only available on Xbox even though Sony owns the rights to it. It's fine, mm-hmm. but it means that it made sense at the time that my, that they went and found, you know, funding elsewhere, which if you look into the history of Insomniac, I don't want to derail this too much, but if you look at that time period for Insomniac, they also got EA to fund a game for them that flopped quite hard. Uh, and Sunset Overdrive did not do very well either. They have done most of their very successful products through Sony, so I'm not surprised that they kind of came back and were like, "Yeah, let's uh, let's make Ratchet and Clank and Spider Man and more Spider Man and Wolverine." It's not surprising at all, uh, but that's okay. So, Chris, now that we're kind of through that, I know we didn't really talk a whole bunch about specifically Game Pass as competition. Um, But one thing that we kind of touched on that I think is a fair point to bring up is do you think that people who are looking at this from the outside uh, and saying, well, Game Pass is maybe the better subscription in their mind, right? Or maybe Mm -hmm. PS Plus is. Do you think that they actually look at subscriber count and view that as some view of success? Because ultimately, let's say that this is true and Jim Ryan says PlayStation Plus has 50 million subscribers, Game Pass has 20. Um it feels like a slightly unfair comparison because PS Plus is a unified system, whereas Game Pass is splintered based off of people who have gold but do not have Game Pass because they're mm-hmm. separate services, whereas PS Plus encapsulates people who have just Essential as well as people who pay for the premium tier and the extra tier. So is this not the same thing as what we were talking about? Fluffing things to look a specific. It's all perception. It's what businesses do. Yes, exactly. Of course, you're going to talk about PS Plus being at 50 million. A more interesting number would be how many extra and premium tier subscriptions do you Mm -hmm. have in comparison? I was about to say the same thing. I'm like, he didn't say PS Plus Premium has 50 million. (laughs) If he had, 
I don't think he'd be saying the same numbers. I don't think he'd be saying the same thing. So, yeah, it's all just posturing. It's all, it's all this. Yeah. Stop treating you it know, like anything else. I, I'm very curious to see where this goes. Like you said, this is a huge industry shaking deal. And for the people that act like it's not, it's been surprising to me to see as well. Um, I thought Bethesda was also a quite a large deal. That was an uncharted territory at the time, but it still went through easier. And this is many magnitudes larger than that in terms of scope, scale, and money. Um, Bassing hands. So, with all that in mind, I really hope that people can start to feel like there's a reason this is being scrutinized. It doesn't mean it's not going to go through. It doesn't mean it is going to go through. It just means that people are trying to take the opportunity, whether they're well meaning or ignorant or what, to do the right thing or to do some form of what they think is the right thing. But you know what? We're going to, you, you talked about Insomniac and Wolverine and how they chose that. And that leads us to a question from Sweet Grant Trismo Jones, who says, How would you feel if Wolverine turns out to be a PSVR 2 game? He, he doesn't make the distinction I need to answer that question properly. Uh-oh. Only. <laughs> I think that's what he's saying turns out to be a PSVR 2 game. So let's uh, let's assume that's what he is saying, that this okay. is a game that exclusively will require you to play with PSVR 2. How would you feel? Terrible. Zero percent chance. <laughs> <laughs> so zero percent chance it's happening, but if it did, you would think it would be a bad move? hundred percent. I will agree that I think it would be a bad move for it to be solely that. Though I think the question makes sense when you think about the fact that Iron Man was a PSVR game. Yeah, but so it's not unheard of that they are leveraging. Sure, Insomniac is a VR dev. They have a a dedicated VR team, and have since well before Sony bought them. I know it's not happening. (laughs) I don't think I I understand the question, and like I said, it would be an awful decision. I would be pissed. I just, I just, I don't even want to entertain it because I don't want to speak it into existence. So. But you scratch on something with your ask for clarification that I do think I'm ready to see if Sony is going to PS move this where they already did it with PSVR. So it's a reasonable question to an extent. How many of Sony's first party games are they going to want to have PSVR 2 modes and our capability within them? So let's say Wolverine has a dedicated mode within it that you can play as PSVR 2, or you can play the entire game in PSVR 2, but you can also play it specifically with a controller. What do you think the chances are of something like that happening? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised by it. I don't necessarily, I'm not sitting here thinking it is happening, but it wouldn't shock me. Yeah. How many, how often do you think Sony's, first-party titles are going to try, if reasonable, to have a mode like that pushed in like they used to do on PS3 and PS4? Do you think that's something that would be a Sony of the past thing, or do you think they're still going to try and push their developers into leveraging the new technology? I think if if Insomniac wants to, they will. I don't think Sony's going to force it, personally. I agree. And actually, if you look at back at PS Move, uh, most of the developers were told, you don't have to. We would really encourage you to look at opportunities where you can maybe use 3D or PS Move. 
in your game. And that's why Uncharted 3 came out after PS Move came out. They said, you know what? We think 3D is interesting. We'll add 3D support, but we don't really see any need for PS Move support in our game. And that's how they did it. Insomniac said, we're making a shooter game with Resistance 3. I think it'd be kind of cool to have Move controller support. But the, a game that came out around a similar time, Ratchet & Clank All for One, now nah, there's no Move support, but it does support 3D. So I think Sony has a long history of just nudging their developers towards trying to think of when they can incorporate these things. And I think that that wouldn't surprise me here. I just think Wolverine makes a lot of sense because it's Insomniac and they have experience with VR gaming. And it would make a lot of sense for Sony to be like, if there's any way you can make Wolverine work as a VR title uh, or with VR support, we would love to see it. I bet you that that conversation's at least been had. And I'm going to throw it out there. Do you really, I I feel like Wolverine is the perfect character for this because it's just having your claws out in your hands. You grip the controllers and when you have the controllers gripped, your your claws come out and you're just swinging around. Spider-Man in VR seems significantly harder because you have to deal with motion sickness far more. You have to deal with way more vertical gameplay and you have to deal with the fact that half of his thing is shooting webs out, which is going to feel weird in a VR environment to some degree, but basically just strapping on metal claws to your fist and swinging your fist like crazy. It feels like the perfect VR playground. Here's my, uh, my pitch for what I think could be it. You remember how Batman Arkham games, I would always have like the, uh, the modes where it was just like a bunch of enemies pouring in and it was just like a combat trial mode. And it was like, see how high you can mm-hmm. get the combos and how many waves you can clear. Yeah. It's going to be that, but for Wolverine and VR, and it's just going to be you in an environment that you can move around with and do everything. And you just, you're just fighting waves of enemies. That would be fun. I would play that. I bet you would, but I think you'd be <laughs> a lot more likely to play that than you would be like, I want to play the entire emotional arc of Wolverine's story through VR. Some people would, but it's a bigger, it's a bigger ask. It is a much bigger ask, yeah. I couldn't see myself playing the whole thing. I don't know. It really depends on how it shows. Because I played yeah. the entirety of Killzone 3 with the PS uh, Move aim, the PS aim. I, I think the problem with what you're saying is that the only way it's a VR game is if it's first person, right? You're not playing... I don't think it has to be, though. I think they've shown oftentimes that they have games that they can go in. And I think Resident Evil 8 is a really interesting example of that right now because the game is first person and they're making it VR, of course, in first person. But at the same time, they're making a third person version of the game. Is that going to work in VR? We don't know. Oh, probably not. But what it means is that a game can clearly have a third person mode and a first person mode with no real issue. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, but like they're a lot redesigning of the game for the third-person mode. So you'd have to redesign Wolverine for the specific uh, mode. Kind you of. Would. But you would. There's no way no, you no, wouldn't no, have no, to no, rework the whole thing. I'm not saying that you wouldn't have thing. to. Okay. Back up. I'm saying specifically for the third-person thing. They've talked about it. All they're really doing is having to change how the camera interacts with things. The game still ultimately is the same. You see ammo on the table that was already on the table you're just walking up to it and grabbing it in a third person perspective it's kind of like what destiny does and skyrim where you can click between the two without really doing any issue now of course that means you have to wonder how the reticule acts when you're in third person but you're not redesigning the whole game you're just redesigning your 
primary interaction with the gunplay. So I think same thing with Wolverine. You just be all right when you're in first person. You got claws coming out. I would assume that it would be you can only be in first person if the whole game was playable that way. Um, if you were on VR, I don't think it would be a free first person because then you'd have to model three versions of the game when you could just do it too. But you're not entirely wrong. Who knows if they'd want to undertake that challenge. Um, all right. Well, Chris. <sighs> Hi, Brett. With everything we have here and this odd, not very news-packed week, what do you think would be the ideal community's take question to throw at our lovely listeners? Hmm. I don't know. I'd want to hear. I think I want to hear thoughts on the new structure of uh, Naughty Dog and how they're doing their games from now on. What? So people's gut reactions on the idea of hearing structured like a TV show and what that right. makes them feel. Exactly. Fear that comes from it. Yeah. I'm glad that before we recorded um, that Neil had come out and said, what he said. Um, because if you read the article, it definitely sounded like he was saying the game was structured like a TV show. And then for him to go a little further and clarify, it sounds like, oh, okay, I get what he's saying. The creation process will be structured like a TV show, whether or not the game is. That doesn't mean that it's going to be good though. We'll have to see, but yeah, that's a good one. We'll do that one. What are your thoughts on naughty dog and the, uh, the thought process behind this TV show thing. Uh, I guess I wonder if some people's answers are going to change after they watch the Naughty Dog, or the Last of Us TV show. Yeah, I don't know. I'll be interested to find out. I'm excited for that show, though. I think I've just landed on the fact that I'm not going to watch it, which I know people are going to be like, what? But yeah, that's I don't crazy. see any motivation to watch it. I know that story. Yeah, I Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what else to say. You can add a few things to it. You can show me Bill and his boyfriend having time together instead of just what you find out in the game. But it doesn't really actively change the character or how I feel about him. I got that through subtext. Yeah, that's what that's what you can do without dialogue. Yeah. And actually, I got to give The Last of Us Part 1 credit. Nowhere at all does it explicitly state that Bill and him were partners, but it is obvious. It is because obvious. Naughty Dog understood how to employ subtext to make you feel something. So you can show me that relationship. Sure, that's cool. But I know the end goal. I know what happens. I know how it ends. It doesn't really change that. I don't know. It's not a set in stone thing, but right now I'm not planning on watching it, which I'm sure some people are like, what? You host a PlayStation podcast, but you know, that's like saying, Oh, look at that. You read my mind. (laughs) Chris can't not play Horizon andor God of War all the way through. They're not interesting to him. I think a 40 hour game and a one hour TV show are different conversations, but I'm just a one hour TV show. They're one one hour hour episodes. Yeah. I mean, uh, so you you want me to spend potentially eight to ten hours and maybe more? Who knows how many episodes is shit gonna be? I don't know. Brad, I don't really give a shit what you do. I was just fucking with you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. All right, guys, we hope that you have a good week. 
Hope that you have a good new year and we will see you next week with a new year, 2023 coming back. And uh, I think Chris and I have landed on uh, the fact that our awards episode is going to be on the middle of January week. So that I think what we'll do is we'll do it on the 17th. Uh, we'll record it on the 17th and release it on the 18th. Uh, that seems right about dead in the center of, uh, of January and where we would normally release an episode. So we'll get to talking about that. We'll have some stuff up. We want to hear from you guys. What are your favorite games? We'll let you do some voting. So Chris and I will have our own answers, but we'll have our community answers as well. With all that in mind, this has been Triangle Squared, episode 289. And for the sake of Saul, I'm going to say it, lucky 289. <laughs> Chris, thank you for joining me. If of course. You want to remember that you can be part of the community's take by going over to our social media, finding us on Twitter at Triangle SQRD, finding us on Facebook in the group Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast. Of course, we always have our Discord linked in the description below. Whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on podcast services, you can click down in there, find it, talk with us day in, day out, as well as a bunch of other community members who do that with us. And you can stay up to date on when episodes come out. You can be part of Community's Take and Question Collection. You can do all those things. We hope you enjoyed the episode. We'll see you next week. Have a happy new year. And shout out to our patrons who went over to patreon.com slash nartech, gave as little as a dollar per month. And we'd like to start that off by saying thank you, Savoy Prime, Alex, Barry Rogers, It's a Sin to Win, a.k.a. Sean, Aztec King, Leechion69, The Lord Corgi, Salvador Garcia, Hammond Egger, Bailey Robertson, Cypher Primus, Kyle Grimm, Rude Days 93, Kevin Bacon Bits, Christopher, Danny Villalobos, Jehudi MD, No Fate, Josh Ayers, Derek Porter, Donovan Williams, Constantly Kenny, Matthew Green, Sean Santarude, Steven Salazar, and Shadowist. Thank you all. We'll see you next week.